Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And as you can tell from the title, we're talking about comic book film directors. And we're talking about live action. We're not talking about animation because then it would be this episode would be even longer than it already is. And so it's kind of contained to live action. And we just want, since a lot of the people who are my guests are on the show are huge comic book movie fans and discuss them at ad nauseum i decided to i had this idea of like all right let's talk about our favorite filmmakers within comic book movies and what's their what's our favorite movie by them and why we're we have such affinity for those movies and like every show i have a guest and now i am lucky enough to have two guests now i have a friend of mine who's never been on the show before but it's not his first podcast and a member of the real fans for real movies podcast network and i should the uh, podcast group i should say and that's mr justin lee how you doing justin i am doing good thanks for having me man no problem and it's funny like we like justin and i've been kind of like uh internet friends for a while now so it's it's just been and he's been the biggest supporter of the show and so it has been a long time coming for you to be on the show oh shucks <laughs> And so let's let me let me spread the love around. I'm sorry, I, I I don't just have the affinity for you. I have affinity for other guests as well. And as returning guest, Mr. Jeremy Lloyd, welcome back, Jeremy. That's <sighs> way, way past my bedtime. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, peek back behind the curtain here, just a moment. There were it's been 45 minutes of me trying to. Uh, uh, troubleshoot my Skype recorder, my, my Skype recording, because I would hear them, and then I could, then they couldn't hear me. Then I could, they could hear me, and then I couldn't hear them, and I was enraged with frustration. So I apologize. Yeah, we were we were having a Verizon guy, I guess Sprint guy moment there uh, for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, nobody didn't jump ship to another competitor as soon as their contract was up or anything like that, and immediately bashed their immediate report, uh, previous employer. Anyway, <laughs> it totally it totally feels like that 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 Sprint guy. As soon as like like his Verizon contract up, he immediately signed up a Sprint. That's how I see it. But I I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Uh, but as you can tell from the title, we'll talk about our top ten favorite comic book movie directors. So let's jump into that right now. Justin, you are the newest guest to the show. I'll have you start first. So who is your number 10th pick and their movie by them and why? Uh, uh, my number 10 is it's kind of an oddball pick because people most of the time don't associate this well these movies with comic book movies, but they did start out as comic books, and that is Barry Sonnenfeld for Men in Black. Ooh, Ooh good choice. Uh, I grew up watching all three of them. I enjoy all, I mean, the second one's kind of rough, but, uh, 
I enjoy all of them quite a bit. They are probably my favorite franchise as a whole that I can just sit down and watch each one of them and not have really too many complaints about. Huh. It's so funny because I was literally thinking about the conversation uh, from Men in Black 2 specifically today when he's, he neuralized the people in the subway car and he rants and raves about like none of them getting out from the subway car until Jeff takes a bite out of the subway and then he neuralizes them again and he does his spiel and walks <laughs> away. For some reason, that popped in my mind. That is so weird. That, it's a divine intervention, man. <laughs> <laughs> And they're, they're, there's apparently a, I don't know if it's a, a series coming back or they're doing like a reboot of Men in Black, if I'm not mistaken. Man, I don't know. They uh, Originally it was going to be a Jump Street crossover somehow, and then it moved into a TV series, and now uh, the dude who directed, um, oh crap, Family, you know, Hashtag Family, the latest Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> F. Gary Gray, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be coming in to direct the next one. Huh. That's curious. That's, that's such an interesting choice. I, I, I was trying to think outside the box, too, because I knew we were going to have a lot on our list that maybe cross over or maybe, you know, some that are pretty much the same. So I was trying to think outside the box, too, and that one never really, that one never even dawned on me. Yeah, the comic books are like a lot different though. Like if you enjoy the movies and you saw them first, then chances are you're not gonna like them. They're a lot darker, and uh, I really think that Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are the reason those movies are as good as they are. Maybe not even Barry Sonnenfeld's direction, because if you uh, do a quick IMDb search of this guy, he. Uh, the other good thing he did do was the Adams Family mm-hmm. films that came out. Oh, but he okay. also done uh, Nine Lives, you know, with Kevin Spacey as a cat. Uh, Wild That's Wild a... West. I can see Wild Wild West. RV with Robin Williams. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's kind of hit or miss, but yeah. But the thing is, like, at least the first Men in Black has probably one of my favorite scenes in movies where it's it's Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith on the park bench. Oh, I love that scene. And they're talking, yeah. just talking about humanity and what like society does to when some they're they're faced with something that's really out outside the box. And then <clears throat> and it has that contemplation as he waits for the sun to set. Plus, also I love seeing late nineties New York City. It's just very different. And it's like I, I live forty minutes away. Like I, I can hop on the train. I can be there in like an hour and a half if I want to. Like right now. And like even then, like just seeing that from then to now, like it's it's over twenty years now at this point. And so it's curious going back to that. And I, I know the comics are very different because I heard like it's like it's very like totalitarian or like fascist kind of ideas. Like it, like that's what and they'll straight up kill you if it, if neuralizing does not work. So I thought that was really. Um, it was probably for the best that they changed it. Yeah, like if you if you read, sorry, Jeremy. If uh, no, no, go ahead. If you read the comic books and you tried to decide on a filmmaker to get behind it to adapt it, it sounds like something like Verhoeven would come in and adapt to the screen. You know, like RoboCop, Starship Troopers. You know, just because of the the themes that are in those movies are kind of in those comic books as well. 
Now, do you guys think that because of the success of, of the movies, do you think we'd ever get a more truer adaptation of the comic books? Or do you think they're always going to have that comedy element because of, because of how successful the, uh, the first movies were? Uh, I'm just I'm just kind of curious because I'm actually really interested in the comic books. Uh, that sounds like something I would be interested in. Yeah, I mean they they're the darker, good. Just, darker tone. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're good. It's just very different. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if they would ever they would ever do anything that bold, you know? Because a lot of people enjoy the Men in Black movies, and it'd be very different. Sounds kind of cliche, but. I could go for like a Netflix Men in Black series that's like dark and gritty. That's that's exactly what crossed my mind. I was like, I'm like Netflix could do that. I could see that working there. Yeah, they need to get Martin Scorsese to remake Taxi Driver just as Men in Black. Well, I mean, they gave him a hundred million dollars to do The Irishman, so <laughs> and I'm I'm really curious how that's going to turn out. So I, like I'm like I'm, I'm I have my fingers are crossed. Hopefully that's successful. <laughs> I mean, uh, all that m- most of that money was just because he could get Joe Pesci to come out of retirement. So <laughs> that's not well worth it. Money well spent. Well I, spent. Yeah. I mean, like even like tangent right here, like Joe Pesci's last performance in The Good Shepherd. Like I, I always thought that was really good of him, and just like just he's in one scene, and I'm like, yeah, I can see him just kind of going out and not being the end of it. But I'm just like, are we just going to get geriatric Joe Pesci in The Irishman now? I don't know. I, I've heard I've heard rumors that there's some uh, de aging special effects that they're using in the Irishman. So uh, we could get to see a younger Joe Pesci too with with that technology. I don't know. As long as it looks better than Terminator Genesis or Genesis, <laughs> I think we I think we or Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War like that's that's uncanny valley. There, I am sorry. That's like that's ugh. people give like Tarkin and Leia crap but no 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 i I think civil war has got some ropey vfx there (laughs) they could push out pesci on a wheelchair holding tapioca pudding and i'd still be entertained so (laughs) all right we've we've decided that we're just going to talk about the irishman and joe pesci now so hope you guys are gonna stay tuned (laughs) (laughs) we're just speculating um as we go on all right is anything else you want to say about your number 10 no, I think that covers it. All right, then. And so, Jeremy, you're number 10. All right, so my number 10 is probably the only, I guess, sort of out-of-the-box deep cut one on my list. Um, and it's mostly because uh, this movie just holds a special place in my heart. And I was a fan of the comics and also the, um, the TV series that followed. And this movie for me is just always it's always been one of my my favorites um so my number 10 is actually steve Barron, and uh my favorite comic book movie that he directed was the 1990 teenage mutant ninja turtles movie um i just i just love everything about this movie and i watched it recently uh gave it a rewatch and it's it's still one of those movies i just like I forgive everything about it, even the stuff that may not hold up. It's just, for me, he just, and, you know, it wasn't just him, obviously, you know, the the screenwriters were also part of it, but 
I think he captured just that perfect blend of of taking it serious, but then also having the humor from the animated series that you know we were fans of back then. But then also keeping it, you know, I think he pleased the comic fans and the people who only knew the turtles from the TV series. I think it was just like a, a perfect blend. And, you know, I'm probably not in the minority if I say, like, I think the 1990 version is probably the best Turtles movie we've ever got overall. Um, I mean, I would argue Out of the Shadows gave me a lot of stuff that I had been wanting in a Turtle movie for a long time. But I still think the 1990 version, I think, is is the best Ninja Turtles movie that we've ever gotten. I would say Turtles in Time, but you know what? I, I don't think. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I wish we could go back to not hearing Tim. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I can't hear you anymore, Tim. <laughs> oh wow! Yep, I was sitting here by myself, uh, talking to myself. That's 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 chaos theory. <laughs> uh, but I totally agree because I think that movie still holds up. Yeah, it's very late eighties, early nineties, but I think it's it's so. Maybe it's because we all grew up with it, but I find it insanely quotable that my friend Mike and I will always say to each other, like, well, a wise man never pays for late pizza, or a Jose Canseco bat? Tell me! He didn't pay money for this, did you? <laughs> oh, and, man. And you can't watch that movie without wanting to order some pizza. No, you know? it's impossible. I don't, I don't know what it is about the pizza in that movie, but it just always makes me want pizza. <laughs> I, I've never been to New York, so is the New York pizza that good, Tim? Well, I, I mean, I'm going to be a little biased and say, yeah, but I'm also willing, <laughs> like, I want to try deep dish, like Chicago deep dish. Uh, but I love that uh, there's a, I think it's a recent Coca-Cola commercial where it's showing different pizzas around America. And like, no, this is the true form. This is the true form. And like, pineapple on pizza. Like, that's not pizza. And then, like, the the universal thing is, like, they all drink Coca-Cola. And I'm like... Can I sign up to be in that kind of commercial? I'll go around the world. I'll go around America and try that out. I mean, I'll do that. All I know is my cousin told me that they have a pizza tour in New York City when you go, and I'm that's definitely on my list whenever I make it there. I think I would join you for that because, like, I'm always down for <laughs> doing. Like, I'm always down for like. There's like hell. Even like, um, one of my aunts gave my dad like it was like a like thing you like a touristy kind of thing is like 50 things to do in new york city and so we're kind of like going off as like a checklist of like oh visit ellis island and liberty island yes uh the met the uh, museum of natural history etc etc go to um randall's island and everything and so that's like i could see that being something a part of that and i kind of want to do that now and now that I'm, and i'm hungry again so i, I blame you <laughs> Yeah, well, like I said, you can't talk about the turtles without without craving some pizza. So yeah, I know, dude. And I live <laughs> in Tennessee, okay, like way out in the boonies. So there is not a pizza joint to be had out here. Oh, uh, how uh, do you survive? Uh, yeah, that's my question. <laughs> a lot of out of town trips, man. Like uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm constantly like to. Like, like almost like a college like care package. Like, buy pizza, put in a contain like a plastic bin, and mailing that to you. But like, wrapped in tinfoil. Like, all right, there you go. There's your solace for it until next time I do this. Man, I would I would drive all the way up to New York and kiss you right on the freckle, Rooney. Oh, I got many freckles, so I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> anyway, uh, last word you want to say on your number ten, Jeremy. 
Uh, it's it's just it's a great movie, um, and I think it it it's one of those movies that proves that the best way to bring the Ninja Turtles to life is putting guys in some really amazing uh, turtle suits. So I agree to that. And so moving on to my number ten, and this is kind of like a more a recent, um, like well not, not too recent, but uh, my number ten is the Russo brothers. And my choice is the Cats America, the Winter Soldier. Now, wow. Yeah, I, and I know putting him at number ten is kind of like some people are going to be like, "Wow, that low." I'm like, like I almost like it was. To be fair, people, the three of us have been like pulling our hairs out, just like trying to figure out, all right, how do we narrow this down to the top ten? Because there's been so many comic book movies made, so. And like, all right, and like, I like, I, I messaged the three, uh, the two guys here before. Like, I, I'm trying to pick somebody for the X Men series, and like, I eventually did. And so, like, having, and I have a few people from the MCU here. And so, and the reason why them and the Winter Soldier, because that that is my, I, I've made no bones about it. That is my favorite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because of the fact that it, they didn't. They made a comic book movie by having the Winter Soldier having his arm and having like super strength people punching each other. However, they made it a political thriller as well, and I think it works just as much as that as then kind of like how what Joe Johnson did with Captain America: The First Avenger, where it's kind of like a, a pulpy adventure. And I, I almost wish Captain America: Civil War was kind of like something else really different, and so each movie could have had been very distinct. Like I think the third one, Captain America: Civil War, I, we've made the joke. Uh, it's like it's Avengers two point five. I mean, Civil War pays off so much things that people gave crap to Age of Ultron, and like how I kind of express this that the Russo brothers got a goal and Joss Whedon got an assist. If we're going to put it into hockey terms, when it came to those two movies, and how. The Russo Brothers uh, approach the action sequences and like how it is kind of Jason Bourne-esque when it comes with the fight scenes, but yet there's some there is still a lot of clarity to them. I think Civil War they went a little too far, especially that opening chase with um, uh, I forget the bad guy is in in the Winter Soldier who's uh, who blows himself up in Civil War. Crossbones. Oh yeah, Crossbones. Thank you. <clears throat> like, yeah, the chase through like the like um, the like marketplace. I thought that was like I'm like all right. This is like born ultimatum like levels of like shaky cam, and I'm like I'm gonna need a barf back soon, and I feel like some of it like didn't work so well in Civil War, but with the Soldier, I think it's the perfect blend of it, and that's why I really enjoy with the Soldier, and that's why they're my number ten. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I get the love for the Winter Soldier. I I I think it's an amazing movie. Um, but I'm not really ready to talk about the Russo brothers yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I knew this was going to happen eventually. <laughs> well, uh, I guess this will be my opportunity to talk about the Russo brothers. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. All right. Explain to the audience what you mean by that. Somehow, whenever I sit down and painstakingly, uh, I might add, put together this list. Not a single MCU film popped up. Like, not a one. And I love The Winter Soldier. That's one of my favorite comic book movies. And The Winter Soldier story arc in the Captain America comics is one of my probably top five story arcs. But I know, Jeremy, 
we have to make a pact right now that we're still going to be friends after I say this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really, really, really super Jamie Drewley like disliked Civil War. Like I feel like it, it totally cheapened Cap's trilogy that he had, and especially the story in between him and Bucky, which I get, you know, like that story was a really good bouncing off point to really drive in the split between Cap and Iron Man and really the whole team to set up, you know, future movies. It's just that's whenever, to me, that's whenever the MCU really started feeling like I was watching like an HBO series where it stopped feeling like films and it started feeling more like a TV series, if that makes sense. I'm sorry, I can't hear you guys again. <laughs> I was waiting, like, I'm like, uh, do I have to put on a helmet? And like, uh, and like a flap jacket? Like, is this, like, shots going to be fired across the interwebs because of this? It makes you feel better, Jeremy. I can't hear myself right now. <laughs> uh, I'm not ready to talk about that movie yet. <laughs> I figure. <laughs> but let's move on. So you're number nine, uh, Justin. My number nine is Matthew Vaughn for First Class. Ooh. Now, you guys know, I mean, your normal listeners ain't going to know, but you guys know that I'm a big fan of the X-Men series. Shut up, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you just put down Civil War and now you're defending the X-Men movies. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It gets worse. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead and put out this disclaimer. This is totally my favorites list, not the best list. <laughs> um, I, I can't necessarily defend a whole lot. Every, every choice on here, you're either going to go with it or you're really not. And I know, you know, select people, not naming names, Jeremy, that, uh, <laughs> that really, 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 really dislike the X-Men films. But, uh, I'm not ready to talk about the rest of them, but uh, First Class, anyways, uh, I felt like was a very new entry into that saga, and it helps that it was someone besides Brian Singer, shut up Jeremy, because uh, <laughs> because it brought a, a, a new taste to it. You know, it was a lot more stylish, a lot more, uh, not necessarily upbeat, because that opening was pretty uh, pretty rough with Kevin Bacon's Shaw. But, uh, yeah, love that movie. Loved Kingsman and uh, really loved Kick-Ass. That was a really good parody of a whole lot of uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, but really just the whole genre in general. I'm not ready to talk about Matthew Vaughn. Ooh. <laughs> I'll let I'll let Jeremy uh, take the lead on this one if he wants to <laughs> rebuttal or retort or. I, I I can't help but wonder: Have I like just got a reputation from the real fans group? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I, I, we all have reputations one way or the other. Um, I have an anger problem. I, I make puns. Um, oh God, no puns. Uh, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm not going to make puns. I mean, I still say the funniest thing that was posted in the longest time was, I think it was you, Jeremy, um, 
you posted the uh, Randall uh, Return of the King, Return of the Jedi, Change My Mind <laughs> meme, right? I, I yes, that was me. I busted out laughing with it. I saw that. I was like, perfect. Nobody's gonna win today. Jeremy has won the day. <laughs> uh, no, I. I uh, if someone was gonna put a gun to my head and. <laughs> Asked me to watch an X Men movie. I it would probably be First Class. Uh, it's it's one that I I'll I'll watch every now and then if it's on if it's on FX or whatever channel has the X Men franchise right now. Um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see the X Men movies are getting some love on this episode because they're not on my list. Spoilers. <laughs> All right then. then. Any final words you number nine? X-Men wrongs. All <laughs> I'll, I'll all. agree, I'll agree all. with that. <laughs> uh, the X-Men do rock. I don't know about the movies, but the X-Men do rock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> finally, we can agree. <laughs> the funny we, found thing, com- we found a common ground. <laughs> the funny thing is that you're a fan of the X-Men movies and comic books, which is not the norm, at least the people we've interacted with. It's either you're a fan of the movies or you're a fan of the comic books. It's a rare that you find somebody who shadows both lines of the fence. Well, uh, the movies are the reason why I got into the comic books, because, you know, spoilers. I'm, uh, I was born in 92, so whenever the first X-Men movie came out, I was pretty young. So it just... And plus, uh, not to get into a long story, but I have this really awesome aunt that used to work at a rec center so i would go there all the time and i would play uh x-men versus street fighter like all day and then she brought me to go see the new x-men movie and that just fan for life right there hmm well then well i now usually i'm the youngest person on a podcast and uh, wow you beat me by ear this sucks. Oh man! No, yeah, we know Tim, Tim usually podcasts with with older gentlemen. This is true. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when uh, when I told my age to guy after we were done recording, Heather was just like, "Wait, how old are you again?" And I explained to him like, "Yeah, I'm 26." He's like, "Jesus Christ!" Yeah, I'm like, I'm "Like, I that's the question." Like when you asked me to host the retro show, I thought it was kind of. Baffling, you have the child host the retro show, but okay, we'll go with that. Hey, it kind of gives you a cool dynamic, you know. It's a young dude with two old fogies, so. That's true. I mean, the thing is, like, I've been compared to, I, I've been said, I've been told I'm an old soul, that I get along with people older than me more than people my age anyway, so. so it works out. I'm going to give you a little bit of ammo, Tim. You mm. could say you're like the reverse disorder group. I mean, you know, instead of a older gentleman like Michael Lyons with Hunter and Andy, it's it's two older guys with a young young pup like you. <laughs> That's true. And actually, I was going to give Hunter uh, – I am going to give Hunter shit when he finally comes on the show because we've been plying to do an episode. And I'm like, you know, Hunter – I thought I was the youngest member of the real fans group, but you know what? No, you had to be the one that's youngest because he's born in 92 as well. Anyway. I always forget how young he is, to be honest. Yeah, because you, because I just how he holds himself and mature. Like, he just yeah. kind of sounds like a person who's older. 
He's much more mature than most of us on there. I know that. That's for sure. I I, 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 I can plead to that. All right. So, uh, Jeremy, uh, your number nine. My number nine is John Favreau, and uh, my favorite comic book movie by him is uh, 2008's Iron Man. Um, I this is still one of my top five movies from the MCU. Um, it really it it really got me back into into Marvel movies uh, because let's be honest before this you know we we didn't really have much to be happy about uh, especially with the way the Raimi uh, trilogy ended a year before this so um, I was really stoked to actually see a Marvel movie that I thought was that was done you know, with as, as much integrity and professionalism as, as Iron Man was, because it was just, you know, before Iron Man, I mean, I, I would argue in terms of, you know, a comic book movie, you know, where they, where they take the, the character, you know, seriously, you know, I, I, I think that was mostly held, held for Batman, I guess, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's just, it was just such a refreshing movie to see a Marvel character get get that kind of movie uh, because it, it was just it's just a fantastic origin story. Um, you know, they perfectly cast uh, Tony Stark with Robert Downey Jr. Um, and even though I know most of us, if not all of us, are are ready for him to pack his bags and leave the MCU, um, I, I I still have to give credit where credit's due. I mean, he is, he is one of the main reasons we have the MCU, uh, that we have now. And, um, it all started with this movie and I, I, I love it from beginning to end. It's my favorite Iron Man movie. Um, it's, it's still my favorite performance by Robert Downey Jr. And any of the MCU movies, I still think it's his best. Um, I just, I just love everything about it. And I think John Favreau did a, a fantastic job with it. And Favreau is one of those guys I didn't, I mean, I don't have his IMDB pulled up right now, but I, I don't know a whole lot of the directorial movies that he did before Iron Man. And, uh, I, I remember being really surprised when I found out it was who it was that directed Iron Man. I don't think anybody could have predicted from swingers to Iron Man. Yeah, I mean that, and that was the thing when I looked up uh, when I looked him up because at that time I just for whatever reason I just didn't know his name, but I knew his face. You know, he just he just has one of those personalities and faces. Like I'd, I'd seen him in movies, and when I saw him, I was like, "Really, that guy? That guy is the director of of Iron Man?" And obviously, he was in the movie as well. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just very surprising to me, and I. I I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot I can knock about the movie. I mean, I mean, I guess the third act is is a little wonky. I mean, I, I wasn't too thrilled with the third act of the movie uh, with Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges' villain getting the big iron suit. But I guess that's kind of a a trope with Iron Man movies, though. You got to have a villain that puts on an iron suit. But um, I, I still think it's it's one of the best from the MCU. I agree. Crickets. <laughs> I was waiting for Justin <laughs> to jump in there because Lord knows I talk way too much. Um, for some reason, I, 
Uh, for some reason, I thought you were going to choose Iron Man 2. Not sure why. I thought that would have been more of your speed. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't hate Iron Man 2 as much as I hate Iron Man 3. Oh, oh, I don't want to know. No, Iron Man, Iron Man three is just the unforgivable sin on the MCU that I just cannot forgive. Oh my god, I cannot stand that movie. It's a Christmas Carol, Jeremy. <laughs> you hate Christmas? Is that what you're saying? If if that's what Christmas is about, then yeah, sign wow. me up for Thanksgiving, <laughs> and then I'll skip Christmas to New Year. <laughs> oh man! Well, we have Scrooge on uh, on our uh, <laughs> podcast here. <laughs> Apparently, I hate everything. I didn't know this. Every, every time we get to Justin, he's like, "Shut up, Jeremy!" <laughs> Before well, he even gets been. to his tank, I'm like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> in, in my defense, whenever I post in the Real Fans group, depending on the movie, I I go I have to go ahead and put "Shut up, guy!" in whatever <laughs> I write. <laughs> well. Now, come to think of it, yeah. <laughs> it's just, just very revealing. And I agree. Like, Favreau was, he was an, he's an honorable mention on my list. He's not on my list. But, and it was so close because, like, he launched the MCU. He set the tone. And it's something that I find, like, I feel like you could argue without Batman Begins, you may have not have had the template for Iron Man, but I could be reaching there. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, they always connect Batman Begins with Donner's Superman and, you know, because Nolan said he pulled a lot of inspiration from Donner's Superman. I mean, I think if we're going to be, you know, honest, I mean, just about all these origin movies probably pull a lot from Donner's Superman. Oh, yeah. Um, But, I mean, I I guess I could see some comparisons there. Um, Yeah, I don't yeah, I mean, like, without, obviously, like, without Dick Donner's Superman, and he directed a Superman and a half of a movie um, because of Superman 2, and, like, I enjoy the Donner cut even with, like, the like the screen test stuff, like, cut in to make it, like, more cohesive, you know, it's, like, very jarring. And, yeah, without Dick Donner, we wouldn't have a comic book genre. I mean, spoilers, Tim Burton or Dick Donner are not on my list, um, they're in my honorable mention part because Donner set the template. Burton proved that comic book movies are not a fluke and that they could be profitable. And but like, I feel like there is a there's kind of like almost a bad precedent that could have been happened out after. There's a good precedent and a bad precedent after Tim Burton made his movies, and I'll get into that in a, a few seconds. But um, any final thoughts on Iron Man, uh, Jeremy? Uh, the only other thing I'll add is, you know, the the other big reason I, I wanted to have him on this list is, you know, he took a character that, you know, unless you're a diehard comic book fan, I mean, Iron Man is known, but, you know, he's not a Batman, he's not a Superman, uh, he's not a Spider-Man or even an X-Men, and the fact that he, he took this character and not only made made a great movie with it, but made a movie that was great enough for them to move forward with this project of the MCU. I think it's, I think it's a remarkable feat in my opinion, because it, you know, he, he wasn't given the golden goose uh, to launch this thing. And the fact that he was able to do it and, 
you know, kudos to, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as well, obviously, but I mean, it's, I, it, it was just an astonishing feat in my opinion, given the character and, you know, not being an A-list character to be able to, to make a movie like that, that he did. I think it's, it's, it's definitely an accomplishment in my opinion. I agree. And I totally forgot, like I was looking at, I glanced at Favreau's IMDb while you were speaking and totally forgot he made Elf. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, huh, wow. That's it was something that, and like Zahura, I'm like, I remember that being, his name being on that, but I totally forgot he made Elf. But uh, moving on to my number nine, uh, my number nine is Ryan Coogler, and the movie is obviously Black Panther. And the reason being is that Ryan Coogler gave me hope in the MCU again. What I mean by that is I've had, like... Like I said before, because I hold the Winter Soldier in such high regard. And so maybe I have this kind of unrealistic expectation to have everything to be at that level. And since nothing like like Winter Soldier, I think is like like a perfect film when it comes to the MCU. Guardians of the Galaxy afterwards, I think, was the perfect like blend of comedy and action. And the problem is with Guardians of the Galaxy that it it set a bad precedent going forward that a lot of phase three of the MCU was very comedically based. And, and I'm just like, Oh, this is not, and just each subsequent movie, I started becoming less and less enthusiastic of an MCU. I still went because I would, I would go in the hopes that I would be proven wrong. And I would eat crow. And be like, you know what? I was wrong to write it off. They're still doing wonderful stuff. And I didn't get that for years until black Panther and I love the fact that Ryan Coogler is like, if you've seen his other movies like Creed and, um, oh, crap, I trying to remember the first one. He did um, the train station movie with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, he's got, he's got a, a significant look and he's got, he, he'll do longer takes. And that's kind of seen throughout the movie. And as well as the construction of the, the villains, that piece, and just a representation of that of just african-american culture and being very important i think in a social sense i think is fantastic while still being entertaining comic book movie i think that's kind of a magic trick and that's why he's on my list well uh spoilers i have some black panther oh well so i I know (laughs) i know but uh I can't he, hear, he hears great things. <laughs> I, hear, I hear great things. I think your care package is being held hostage now, just saying. <laughs> but uh, I will say that Ryan Coogler is a excellent director. Whenever I heard that he was attached to Black Panther, I got super excited about it because, like what Jeremy was saying about Iron Man, that's a very, uh, a very C-list character as far as general audiences go to even make a movie about, which, you know... The Marvel machine can just like print money now, but uh, I loved Creed, loved Fruitvale Station. Uh, good pick. Nice and Jeremy. Um, you know I I'm a I'm a Coogler fan. I I love Creed. Uh, I actually saw that last year um, on Hulu. Uh, it was one that I just didn't see in the theater, which I don't really have a valid excuse for that because i'm a huge rocky fan it was just one that i never got to the theater to see uh but i ended up loving that movie um 
And I, I, I love the Black Panther character when he was introduced in Civil War. Uh, so I was looking forward to Black Panther. And obviously we were having a lot of fun with it uh, on the Real Fans group, you know, waiting for that release. Um, but, you know, it's 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 one of those movies I, I, I do like it, but I didn't fall in love with it like the majority of people did. Uh, I only saw it once in the theater. So... It was it was one that I you know I liked it uh, I I get all the uh, the love that people have for it and the message and everything that it was presenting but it was just it just a lot of things just didn't work for me um, and I don't I don't want to spoil anything because Justin hasn't seen it but um, I don't think it's anything against Kugler I think it was a beautiful film. Um, uh, you I, can you can spool away, man. It's already been spooled for me. So all right, so the, all right, so the dinosaurs coming up in the third act was a bit out of nowhere. I'm like, all of a sudden it was dinosaurs. I was like, mm, I don't know. This is a bit weird. But I mean, I it's it. Look, I know I'm in the minority. I you know I'm not going to sit here and try to sway anybody's opinion of it because I know I'm in the minority. It just it just was one of those. It was okay for me. It's it's one I'll buy when it comes out, but it just it wasn't one that worked for me. Oh, what uh, what didn't work for you? If you don't mind me asking, I'm not trying to you know paint a big target on you or anything. Uh, I not, mean, it's no just... more than it already has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Um, I I you know I don't know I you know I I loved uh, you know what the movie represented, and I know a lot of people you know felt that it was it was a great achievement, you know, having, you know, an African American hero, you know, getting his own movie and I loved all the presentation and stuff, but it just I don't I don't know. It just it it felt a little on the nose to me in a lot of ways. Um and I, I just don't like movies that do that. I I love when movies have messages, but I'm one of those people that I like to be able to dig deep or, you know, have to really, you know, watch the movie and translate it to get the message that it's trying to present to you. I, I'm not a fan of these movies that seem to beat you over the head with it. And for me, that's what I got from Black Panther. I felt like the message was just being beat over the head with me. Um, and it just, it just didn't work for me. I just, I was like, okay, I get it. You know, I, I, I see I see what you're 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 doing here, but it just I don't I, it kept me from enjoying the movie I guess. Okay. Enjoying uh, enjoying the ride I guess you know and I don't know it just it's just one of those movies it just doesn't just didn't work for me so. Well, you know I'm I'm more of a I like more character driven like stories in general you know like I, I would rather have a good character piece over spectacle. Mm-hmm. So is it like short on character work? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that either. Um, I'm trying to think the best way to get my point across. I, I, you know, I was talking to our friend Guy Milks about it one night. We were messaging because he hadn't seen it yet, and uh, we were talking about it. And for me, like uh, Chadwick uh, Boseman, I love him as Black Panther. Loved him in Civil War. Uh, but for me, it was like he was the one thing in the movie that I enjoyed, but he was kind of a – for me, he was like taking a back seat to everybody else 
who was in the movie and everybody else that was in the movie for me just seemed like they were happy to be in a black Panther movie. If that made any sense. See, I, I've heard that. I've heard that, uh, it was a black Panther movie, but it should have been called black Panther world because it was more about the characters surrounding him. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, there was a lot of, a lot of performances in the movie that like, just seemed a little over top over the top to me. You know, it just seemed like, like I said, it's like they were just, they were happy to be in a black Panther movie is what it came across as. And like I said, I know I'm in the minority, so uh, I'll be sure not to plug my show at the end. So I don't get any <laughs> email, but <laughs> it just, I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't work for me. And, and, you know, part of it too, is I only saw it once and I went into it with a lot of expectations because everybody was, raving about it um so maybe i need to give it another watch and kind of put all that stuff aside and uh see if i can come out with a different opinion of it but i don't hate the movie you know i don't want people to think i hate the movie it's a really good movie it's well directed i just when i say i enjoyed black panther and civil war more than i did in his own movie you know that's that's kind of a problem for me i understand that is Tim still there, or is he? Uh, uh, is he? Tim he's, can't he's, hear us. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just contemplating. I'm just choosing my words carefully. Uh, he's, contem- he's contemplating who he's going to call to send Ohio to assassinate me. <laughs> I've never been to Ohio, so I may make a trip myself. I mean, <laughs> just for shits and giggles, uh, uh, go see where. Uh, anyway, um, but I understand that because maybe it's because, like I said before. My expectations were so low going in. That's why I was blown away. I did see it twice. Don't get me wrong. I did see it twice. But, like, I went into it like, all right, it's not a Marvel movie. Let's see what happens. And I was completely blown away. So that's why I went back a second time and say, all right, was it just the hype? Did I just get, like, enraptured in it? And that's why I fell in love with it. But I went to see it a second time, and I loved it just as much. And I went, like, a couple weeks later, or at least two weeks later, and, like, it was, a, like, a... T- Wednesday night and full the the theater was packed and I was I couldn't be happier and and I love like the, the little bit of the spoilers for you Justin but there's one thing there is the opening like voiceover and kind of history lesson is not being done to Black Panther it's being done from Killmonger's father to Killmonger somebody pointed that out to me and I think that makes that opening even more special and more impactful and like even for that moment on, I enjoyed it. But yeah, so Ryan Coogler is my number nine, and so uh, Justin, you're number eight. Okay, uh, I can't hear Jeremy, but uh, my number eight. <laughs> my number nobody, eight. Nobody wants to hear the rest of my list. They're, they're, they're done with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. My uh, my number eight is Brian Singer. Nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was I'm like, Jerry's going to make the first joke. I'm not going to make the first touchy joke here. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend it. Cause like Jeremy was saying, you know, uh, can't really, I, I'm not here to really change anybody's minds about it. Cause Lord knows enough people have talked about his X-Men movies, but, uh, back in the two thousands, you know, comic book movies, weren't exactly what they are today. And I feel like after Brian Singer made usual suspects that 
you know, he was perceived as a super talented guy and he approached the X-Men movies with a more realistic, more, I don't want to say, you know, it sounds snobby when I say this, but more like adult oriented storytelling method. Pretentious. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, I know he didn't put him in the costumes and that's like a big, huge strike. No, he did. He did now, uh, for, and for three uh, minutes. <laughs> oh, I, I was getting to that. I was getting to that. <laughs> um, out of all these movies I've listed, X2 and two others that I'm not ready to talk about yet, have uh, I've probably watched them just about as much as some of my favorite movies. I mean, they are some of my, like, not just comic book favorite movies, absolute favorite movies, and that's X2. I've, I watched the VHS to that until pretty much couldn't watch it anymore. Uh, the reason he's so low is because of the ginormous dump that he took all over X Men Apocalypse. Uh, even I can't defend that. Like, why even put them in their costumes at the third act? That that's just asking for it. Like, I mean, not even third act. At the very end, like yeah, it was Jeremy the epilogue. Said. It was a middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Why do that? But uh, I feel like Days of Future Past is a. Uh, a wrongly maligned movie, you know, I know certain people <clears throat> hate that movie, but, uh, I, I actually enjoyed what it was. It wasn't a straight adaption to the comic book material, which I feel like that was, that was going to, you know, hurt some of the fan base, but I feel like you really gave Xavier, which is a character that if you've read a lot of X-Men comic books is not going to be your favorite character. He's kind of a douchebag. And he's very manipulative, especially in the early issues. And, you know, Kitty said that, uh, says it best and says Xavier is a jerk because he absolutely is. But in that movie, he gave Xavier a very personal, emotional arc that only one other filmmaker has made me feel about Xavier that way. And I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But, uh, yeah, singer number eight. Hashtag no apologies. <laughs> Uh, didn't Singer direct First Class? He was... He uh, walked away from it, and Matthew Vaughn... Oh, yeah, you're and right. Then, and then he tried coming back, and that's why. That's how he wound up directing Days of Future Past. Is oh, okay. Vaughn was originally going <laughs> to direct it. That's why it's popping up on his IMDb. Yeah, and he that's like, why, co-wrote it. That's like, why I was like, it? I thought, yeah, because I thought Matt, yeah, because Matthew Vaughn directed it. I was like, wait a minute, okay, um, okay, sorry, I I took a little detour there. Um, so uh, X two is is that what your uh, favorite one is of yeah. Brian King's? Um, I I'll co-sign that. I I think X two is is the best X Men movie out of the whole franchise. Um. And truth be told, I'm one of the few people that'll defend uh, X3, The Last Stand, but... Whoa, 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 Hold the fucking phone. Spoilers. Number eight for Jeremy, Brett Ratner. Okay. You'll give Iron Man 3 shade. Yet. Yes, you'll defend, I'm the juggernaut, bitch! 
I won't defend that. Um, <laughs> the thing I like about X3 is I actually liked what they did with the Phoenix. Um, I've never been a big fan of the Phoenix saga in the comics. Um, I'll have some of what he's having. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. It's it's not that it's bad, but it just when I had I had heard that they were going to do the Phoenix in the movies, I was just like, man, I don't know how they're going to pull that off. And I mean, with with the MCU now, obviously I could see them pulling it off. But you know, back then with the X Men movies, I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't I don't see that happening with these first two movies. I don't know how you're going to do that. And the and the fact that they that they took it and made it into a story about a mutant who was so powerful that she developed the split personality and it was, I thought it was a very intriguing storyline and a very interesting way to approach the Phoenix, um, you know, to have a mutant that is unable to control her powers because, because she is so powerful. I think it's an interesting idea and I, I may be in a minority, but I, I like that aspect of it. Um, does the whole movie work? No, there's a lot of stuff in it that doesn't work, but I don't think it's a dumpster fire like most people think it is. See, that's one of the things I like about it is what they've done with the Phoenix saga. And, uh, like, they really played with moral ambiguity in that movie. You know, like Xavier going in without anybody knowing and setting up those mental blocks to protect Jean from herself. That's interesting. I don't care what anybody says. That's a, that's a cool twist to put on it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's not the first superhero that we could think of that maybe had a story arc like that. It's like, you know, somebody who has these super abilities and it's too it's too much for them. They can't control themselves, you know, and I I just think it was I think it was a cool story arc, in my opinion. So I just feel like that movie would have been better if they would have picked a story arc, you know, if they would have went after the cure. Yeah, that could have been a really cool movie if they went after the and, Phoenix. And Saga part of me wonders—I mean, I don't know how—I don't know all the history of it, but part of me wonders what was it one of those um, was it one of those Spider-Man three type things where they were just had people wanting to put so much into this one movie? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I I think it would have been better if you had just focused on one one of those story arcs and not crammed as much in there as you did. But like I said, it's it's not a great movie. I'm not gonna say it's a great movie or even a good movie but it's it's nowhere near the the dumpster fire that people make it out to be in my opinion yeah i agree and uh tim what do you think about x2 well uh, okay this is (laughs) oh shit never mind i can't hear tim no 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 no. x2 is my favorite x-men movie but it's not on my list i'll say that i know i know (laughs) <laughs> okay, but does it? I will give um, Last Stand credit for one thing. Doesn't it have uh, your favorite uh, X Men multiple man in that? It does, and it. You know, I'm I'm not really. I was like at first kind of, kind of pissed off about what they done with them, but looking back, Eric Dane was actually a pretty good multiple man, and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I enjoy about that character is came about later. Like, it came about after that movie was even out. You know, uh, Peter David came in and wrote a really good run of X-Factor to where it's like a noir detective series with mutants in it. 
And that's what made me truly fall in love with that character. But, uh, yeah, what, what happened in X3 with Juggernaut's much more offensive than what they done with Jamie Madrox. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think the biggest sin that movie has is you waste Ben Foster as Angel by giving oh, him nothing to do. Man. He was, that would have been so good. That's why I wish they would have kind of stuck with the cure, just because I feel like what they were setting up with Angel was really good, and then it fell very far. Uh, I mean, like, X2, like, I remember every experience I saw. I remember, I can remember every Marvel movie vividly up until Spider-Man 2. I, no, 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 no. I can remember every Marvel movie I saw in the theaters up until uh, Origins Wolverine. And X2 is a transcendent oh. movie for me. I'll get to Wolverine, that Wolverine movie in a second. And oh, I, God. I, I think, you better be joking. You better be joking. No, 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 no. I do not like it. I'm just saying, I was just putting it in context there. That's when I stopped watching the X-Men movies. That's why I was like, all right, no, I am done. And that's why I did not see First Class in the theaters. I regretted that. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I know. And so, but no, like, X2 is still my favorite. I think it's the best. I know it's kind of the cheesy, like, have you tried not being a human? Like, all right, yeah, I, I get it. And, like, oh, it's, like, it's an allegory for, like, like coming out of the closet. I'm like, well, X-Men books have been allegory for different kinds of social structures or kind of, like, weird uh, – I don't want to say weird. That's not the word I want to use. It's the outsider kind of expressing themselves and being one with themselves. Like, whether it is, it is um, civil rights or women's rights or – LGBT uh, community, and so I have no problem with that scene. I think X2 is the best. I think my favorite X-Men set piece is the opening in the White House. I think it's fantastic. Oh, man. Nightcrawl is my favorite mutant because of that sequence. Yeah. That and the, uh, the mansion invasion. Yes. Even if so it's like PG-13, so it's like, it should be, the walls should be covered in the commandos, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, I will say that the biggest knock I have against that movie is uh, is that wire foo matchup with Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike at the end. Mm. There's a lot of wire foo going on. Yeah, I mean, like how she like jumps up in the air and spins like three like couple three sixties at him. Like mm, that's a bit that's a bit yeah, wonky. Like, someone someone's been watching a lot of the Matrix, like a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, like, the costumes are, like, straight out of the Matrix. Like, I mean, like, that's the easiest joke you can make against the costumes, like, they're black leather. I mean, I understand the rationale that nobody would have bought it at the time. But speaking of, like, X-Men costumes, I'll get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, that's yeah, my ditto, thoughts. Ditto. <laughs> that's but, my uh, thoughts on uh, X2. Well, another thing that I really like about it is how I mentioned earlier that Winter Soldier is in my, probably in my top five story arcs. That uh, that movie is based a lot on another one of those arcs, which is uh, God Loves, Man Kills, which is, in my opinion, probably the best X-Men story that you can read. Because, I mean, it has everything that it's about, but I feel like I feel like they couldn't faithfully adapt that because it's about a, uh, a televangelist. And, yeah, there would have been riots in the streets, mass chaos if they would have made that movie i mean it has uh mutants getting crucified all kind 
all kinds of very controversial stuff that, you know, fanboys actually, you know, they do not overreact about at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> yep. But uh, any final thoughts on your number eight? Uh, I think we covered it. Jeremy, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'll just I'll just uh, give one more defense for X3. Uh, it gave us the best on-screen beast that we've ever gotten. Oh, Kelsey Grammer. Yes. Frazier. If anybody knows me, that's for Frazier. So I was waiting on him to be uh, cartwheeling over people while eating pate. The whole thing. For God's sake, Styles, they have the cure. <laughs> oh my if he would have said that, best movie. Ever, <laughs> and now to come out on the Segway in the midst of battle, I think that would be perfect. Uh, <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw a Segway was when he had one in that in that show. <laughs> but uh, all right, moving on. Now, Jeremy, you're number eight. Uh, my number eight is uh, a guy that every everybody knows, and that's Mr. Tim Burton. And uh, <clears throat> my favorite Who? comic book, <laughs> Burton, Tim. Oh, oh, ah, my different bad. Tim. Different Tim. Um, my favorite comic book movie by Tim Burton is 89 Batman. Um, and it's, you know, he's he's pretty low on the list on my list. But, uh, you know, Batman 89 is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. But the reason I have him kind of low is you know this is this was a this was a movie that he didn't have all the control over uh that one came next batman returns uh which i still enjoy too but um i i had to put him on the list uh just because of 89 batman is, is a movie that's it's just one of my top comic book movies of all time so i feel like i had to put him on the list for that alone um and you know he he introduced me to batman you know this was this was my first real introduction into batman other than some comic books uh i i was born in 83 uh i didn't i didn't really get into the adam west batman even though my dad tried a couple times um it wasn't that i didn't like it it was just you know, it was okay, but it wasn't something I really fell in love with. Um, but 89 Batman, I mean, I, I saw it in the drive-in theater when it first came out, and it, it just created my whole fandom and love for the character. So, you know, I owe a lot to that movie and Tim Burton. And um, it's it's just, it's not the best Batman movie ever made. But it is my favorite Batman movie ever made because of what it represents um, with with the character for me and and my love of of all things Batman. So, uh, yeah, it's it's number eight. Jeremy, you're my number one. A guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't I can't argue with that. I mean. I've said before, I experienced the 89 film along with the animated series and the 60s uh, series and reruns. So all of them are kind of, all three of them are kind of in tandem, like being a part of each other. And it was so hard to keep him off the list, but like there were so many changes that he's made and there's so many other filmmakers have come along. I mean, 
one of my filmmakers coming up like wouldn't have had a career or, or at least had this movie if it wasn't for Tim Burton and especially Batman 89. And like I said before, he, he proved that Dick Donner's Superman was not a fluke. And without him, we wouldn't have the biggest contribution. We wouldn't have had Shirley Walker doing the music for the animated series. <laughs> that's true. So I, I think that's the only. I think that's the final words I can say on Batman Eighty Nine. I'm uh, I'm not ready to talk about Tim Burton yet. Oh. <laughs> All right then, and so uh, oh, it comes to me. Oh, so my number eight. I'm finally stepping away. Well. I'm stepping away from the MCU. I'm not stepping away from Marvel just yet. Like I said, as a as a huge DC fan that people know me from, I have more Marvel filmmakers on my list than DC fan, uh, filmmakers. So make of that what you will. Or if you want to say, if I have a DC bias, I know there's one person I went to college who thinks I have a DC bias. So <laughs> um, it is Guillermo del Toro and it's Blade 2. And... This I enjoyed the first blade, Stephen Norrington's first blade, and, and I think that's like almost a great, like just one like just visually looking one of the best looking comic book movies. And I think Blade Two takes it up a level. I love how the origin and his whole modus operandi is done in the opening credits. And it sets up everything and goes forward. I love the the look of the Reapers, and I like that it's, that it has comic book logic to it, like with the action scenes. Yes, some of the CGI fights is a bit dated. But as Guy Milks has said, Guillermo del Toro is best when he's making monsters, and the Reapers is a perfect evolution of what vampires are and a great villain for Blade to fight. I mean, we have we have Kung Fu, we have we have Donnie Yen fighting vampires. I don't know how much more you need to be sold on to go see it or to watch the movie. And Ron Perlman being his most scene chewing um, greatness. I mean, I love the moment where, like, he Blade's about to go off to his final fight, and he puts on his sunglasses at night indoors. Like, like certain movies, you like, oh no, this, this, like, you like, if they like, say if like Batman would do that, like, in like, uh, if Christian Bale's Batman did that, you like, no, that would just be wouldn't work. But within the confines of this movie, I, I think it works. And there's certain set pieces that I will remember. I will will never forget. So yeah, number eight, Blade Two. Uh, Blade Two almost made made the list. Um, I I I love Blade Two. I still think it's 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 the best Blade movie. Uh, but it's it's yeah, it, it's really good. I, I like everything about it. I love the villains. I I love the angle that they went uh, with it. Because um, that was one of the things that I was let down by by the first blade i loved everything about the first blade but the villain just didn't really work for me and i blade two retcon that and then all the other supporting cast and blade two is great too like you said ron perlman um it's just yeah it's it's a good one uh, and, and guillermo del toro i mean you know wh- why he isn't directing justice league dark or a swamp thing movie i don't understand because i think he would be perfect for that I'm uh, I'm not ready to talk about Guillermo del Toro yet either. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> All right then, moving on. Then, oh, what is your number seven then, Justin? That is Mister Tim Burton for Batman Returns. 
Whoa. The uh, the reason. Andy DiGenova <laughs> likes that pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason that he's not higher up on my list is because uh, I had to separate his other film catalog between what he made and the genre, which was really hard because he's probably one of my at least top ten favorite directors. But uh, Batman Returns is something I came across at a really young age. I actually saw this before I saw Batman 89. Um, my parents knew I was a big fan of Batman anima- animated series, like I'm sure both of you guys were back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they bought me this movie, and they did not know that the uh, you know the penguin would be biting somebody's nose off in the movie. That uh, or, or trying to drown babies. They're trying to drown babies. <laughs> that, uh, that too. They, they were prepared for how dark it was, but uh, it's the best Batman Christmas movie that we have. Uh, I, the thing I love about Burton is, I'm Tim. I believe you are too. But I'm, I'm a really big fan of the old Hammer horror films. And, yes, I am. Uh, Burton's love for those films is just oozes over everything that he makes. Like. And his films are different, but they feel like they could be set in the same universe. Like a lot of the scenery throughout Batman Returns, like you, you thought you could drive a little bit more upstate and you could be in Sleepy Hollow. But uh, it's it's a style that's always resonated pretty deeply with me, and that's that's why he's on the list. Santa Claus, afraid not. I'm just a poor <laughs> schmo. We got lucky. So and soon. Fact- <laughs> the fact that he picked Shrek is that dude's name, Max Shrek. Oh yeah. I, I, I uh, Jeremy, you go first. Um, well, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, continue on with what I was talking about with Batman '89 since Tim didn't give me a chance to give my closing thoughts on it. But uh, yo, <laughs> <laughs> um, you the one complaining yeah. about being tired, okay, guy. <laughs> I'm already here now. I might as well finish it out, right? All right, Uh, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Batman Returns, look, I mean, I I, I really love Batman Returns. I I don't have any problem with anybody that loves Batman Returns. I know some people do, but uh, I guess the reason 89 makes it over Batman Returns for me is because 89 came before Batman Returns. And if if we got Batman Returns and no Batman 89, if that was the only Tim Burton Batman movie we got, it definitely would have made the list. But I guess for me, like, as much as I love the full-blown Burton version of Batman, I loved the dialed-back Burton in 89. I love that there was still a lot of Burton elements there, but um, it just... It just 89 works better for me um, when I compare the two. But, I mean, come on. I mean, Batman Returns is great. It still has all the things that I fell in love with with Batman. It has the best Batmobile ever. You know, it has the music. The music's amazing. It's, you know, all, all the stuff that Tim Burton brought to the Batman character is still, like, the status quo for me. 
in terms of Batman, I mean, even the animated series, it still is reminiscent of the Burton Batman. It just, everything that I see with Batman always comes back to Tim Burton for me. I, it always gets compared to Tim Burton's Batman movies in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't debate with you on that. It's a good choice. I agree. All right. Wait, are you going to do closing thoughts? <laughs> no, nah, he's I, not letting I, us do that no more. <laughs> no, I, I I just noticed that you were changing the rules, Tim. So. Do you want your closing thoughts or not? <laughs> I'll throw the ultimatum down right here. Uh, you're, you're a ginger, so it, it's always your choice. So. <laughs> yeah, Sophie's choice right here. Um, yeah, your final thoughts on Batman Returns. Um, Batman Returns would, or really Burton would probably be at the top of my list if this was most important comic book movies because as important as Superman 78 was I feel like Tim Burton's 89 really brought it up to the next level about what comic book movies could do in you know the movie business and uh I kind of feel like Returns gets beat up a lot more than I think it does, but the one thing that I can say about my list, and I was going to get into this, I'll, I'll get into this more later, but uh, the choices that I made are films that are very much the director's films and not something that's going to, it's not an advertisement for the next movie. Like I feel like some MCU movies are, which I, I still enjoy a lot of MCU movies, but I do feel like they're they're selling you on the next movie, and that's all they're mainly worried about is getting your money that time and then selling your next ticket. But uh, there is no beating around the bush in saying that Batman Returns is very much a Burton movie, and uh, that, that's why I picked it. Very nice. I think and that's a good... I think that's a valid argument. Yeah. I mean, I've made no bones about that. I prefer Batman Forever to... Batman Returns, I know. I'm not uh, ready to talk about Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a large... All right, I'll, I'll stop oh saying Oh, my God. You better keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> Baby! All right. <laughs> um, moving on, Jeremy, you're number seven. Uh, my number seven is Patty Jenkins and... Her, my favorite comic book movie by her is the only one she's done, and that's Wonder Woman. Um, the reason she's so far down the list is because, you know, this is the only movie that she's done. Um, so, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot I could I could really compare with in terms of her catalog for comic book movies. But um, I think she deserved to be on the list because Wonder Woman is one of my favorite comic book movies. Um and I just think she did a phenomenal job uh, bringing the character to the screen in her first ever, you know, on-screen movie. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously we had the TV series back in the day, but, um, you know, I, I just, this was a movie I was looking forward to, you know, from, you know, when I saw BVS, I couldn't wait for the Wonder Woman movie, and she delivered 
Uh, I love that it was a period piece um, because I, I just love these superhero movies that are period pieces. Um, and it just, everything about it worked for me. Uh, it's one that I, I watch pretty regularly. If I just want to put a movie on, I always put it on. Um, and I just think she did a phenomenal job uh, all around with this film. And I, I can't wait to see um, Wonder Woman 2 and... I'm hoping that she she does some other projects as well in the comic book world. I'm not ready to talk about Patty Jenkins yet. <laughs> well, uh, Jeremy, you had uh, you had your moment in the minority spotlight, so I'm going to have my moment <laughs> in mine. Um, well, good because I, I'm I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to bruise from getting beat up so much over here. So uh, I'm sorry. It'd be, nice, it'd be nice for you to take a couple swings. <laughs> um, I'll take a couple hits. All right. Which with this one, I'll probably get you know just dragged to the floor and beaten with a claw hammer and the real thing. <laughs> but uh, I don't hate Wonder Woman. It's I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Uh, love what it represents as far as a female leading a major blockbuster movie and it getting universal praise. I, I do not think that it was, I came in with like the highest of expectations, you know, cause I've read everybody's reviews in the real fans group. You know, I heard nothing but praise and I don't know. I feel like the third act kind of, kind of had problems for me. Totally for me. You know, if it worked for you, great. I'm happy. But for me, it just, it wasn't what I necessarily was expecting or wanted. And uh, if they would, I really want a Wonder Woman and Theme Mascara movie. Because, I mean, that the entire time that they were on Theme Mascara, I'm like, this this is mind-blowing how, how well shot and well put together and choreographed everything was. Uh, I feel like Gal Gadot is fantastic in the role um who is it that played Ares is it David Thulis is that his name yeah uh I can't ever remember his name but uh he's just you know one of those character actors that I always enjoy seeing in anything you know especially in the Harry Potter films um I will say that I'm also a big fan of period pieces and I am super pumped for the sequel that's set in the Cold War. So I, I feel like that's, for me, is going to like really, that's going to take it up to a different ball game for Patty Jenkins. And I like Patty Jenkins as a filmmaker. Like I loved Monster. That's total A plus film all day. But uh, yeah, so go ahead, take your swings. I have Brian Singer on my list, but not Patty Jenkins. So I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, cut and paste everything that uh, Justin said, and uh, yeah, paste it on my Black Panther review because that's that's pretty much how I feel <laughs> about Black <laughs> Panther. <laughs> at least, at least we're going down together, man. <laughs> uh, I know number two and number one. I'm gonna get so much hate for, so that's why I'm staying real quiet right now. Oh, no. Uh, I thought you were plotting your revenge is what I thought you were doing. No, 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 no. I, I totally get it. And, and I'll get into Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman later on. But um, final thoughts on Wonder Woman. Jeremy. 
Uh, it's it's just a great film, um, and I think it's it it stands on its own, which is really nice, especially since it is part of the larger cinematic universe, um, which is always a plus. <clears throat> as as uh, Justin has said a couple times on here now, you know it, it's it's not a film that I guess you know, makes you feel like they're trying to sell you on the next one. Uh, if that's something that you're not, you're not into, I think this movie stands on its own and you can go in and watch it and enjoy it just as a, as a film on its own. So it's, it's, it's just a great, great entry. And I can't wait to see her, uh, her next chapter. Nice. And moving on to my number seven, this is my out of the box pick and it's Alex, uh, Proyas or Proya. And the movie is The Crow. And nice. Yeah, I, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't have, I, I'd be amiss if I did not have The Crow on my list because, like I was saying before, The Crow I think is the kind of like the child between Blade Runner and Tim Burton's Batman. And, I, and I'm saying what I mean by that, like I, I feel like it's not like neon. Um, colored, drowned in, like, kind of Blade Runner, but it's just an expansive world because there's not a lot of aerial shots of Gotham City in Batman, but there is a lot of, like, that for in, in The Crow and the adaptation of the story and how it changed a little, it's made a little different and how the circumstances of how, how Brandon Lee's character became The Crow. And it's just, it maybe it's the fact that it's also cemented as the movie that Brandon Lee died on tragically or in the making of that's always stuck in the consciousness of film goers and just his, I mean, his performance could have like inspired, like is partially inspired, like in like Heath Ledger's Joker. I've heard one report and also, I think the fact that it has one of my funniest jokes I've ever heard in South Park when Satan's throwing his, like, 16,000 Sweet 16, and he's making a ruling for all the people in hell, like, nobody come dressed as the crow just to get laid. It's lame. Everybody does it. You're not cool. And I always associate that with this movie. And another thing that, like, I always say, uh, it's another movie I quote constantly, like, um, Usually, uh, my first job, my and breaks, you're allowed to leave the building if you want to go to Seven Eleven or something like that. And usually, that's when I'll go get gas because I usually don't have time for going from one job to the other. So I'm going to pump my gas. My buddy uh, Steve will come with me. He's he always asks, like, "You want anything from inside?" I'm like, "Beers and smokes for the road. I'm on it." <laughs> we even did the fire it up at one point. And it kind of it turned a few heads of people, other people at the pumps. And so, because we have no problem embarrassing ourselves in public like that, and it's the movie I go back and I just adore the visuals, I enjoy the music, and the filmmaking of it, I love how, okay, a little filmmaking technical here, Um, how you can judge a film stock is by, they call film speed, the more, like, the faster the film stock, like, because they measure by numbers, like, usually from, like, 50 on to 500 500 speed stock it's more light sensitive however it's grainier in its presentation like you look at like um batman v superman that's a grainier film that was shot with a faster uh, film stock they look at pulp fiction that was shot with like 50 speed film stock that's why you look at pulp fiction on blu-ray is is crisp is clean there's like not a lot of grain in that 
And as dark as the crow is, that was shot with 50 uh, speed uh, tungsten, which is which is kind of like close to fluorescence, but it's not daylight balance. It's how you the two judges of co- of color balancing for film stocks is tungsten and sunlight. Sunlight being 5600, tungsten being 3200. There we go. There's your little filmmaking lesson today. And it was shot with this very slow speed of film stock and how much light you would need to light that movie. And that's why I think The Crow is a beautiful looking movie because it's not like intentionally, it's not very grainy in that way. And it's insanely quotable, like I said, and it's something I just adore. And I'm not ready to talk about this movie. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it. It's uh, it's not on my list. It was an honorable mentions. It's a uh, it's a movie that I don't rewatch a lot. But have you guys read the source material before? I haven't got a chance to. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have it actually. Uh, the graphic novel. Yeah, I have it. Well, I assume we'll hear about it whenever, whenever it is you're ready to talk about it. But uh, uh, probably not. I mean, I was I was just going to talk about the movie. So if you have some points, go go for it. Well, I was just wondering, like, what how much it differs if it was like pretty much a straight adaption or what? Uh, no, it's it's not a straight adaption. Um, from what I'm hearing, the the reboot or remake that they're doing, I think, is going to be closer to the source material. Um, it, I, I actually met James O'Barr at a Comic-Con a few years ago, and he was I was asking him about it. And obviously, it's been a few years, so things have changed. But even back then, he was saying that it was the remake they were trying to do was going to be closer to the source material and not a, a remake of, of this version of the Brendan Lee movie. Oh, cool. Well, um, I, I'm glad that you uh, compared it to uh, Tim Burton's Batman, Tim, because it very much feels like that. It feels like a uh, grimy mix between Burton and Dark City. Uh, Which he did after this. That yeah. is right. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Man, I need to brush up on this guy. <laughs> uh, is he the one who done iRobot, too? Yes. Oh, I love our Anyways, all right, I'm getting off subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> On a podcast, never. Never, never, never happens. But uh, I didn't grow up on The Crow. I've probably seen it maybe around ten times ever. But uh, it's excellently shot. It has a style all of its own. Uh, Brandon Lee is great in it. and it's. I never knew the details about what happened for the longest time, but it's it's really a crazy story about how he even died. But uh, the fact that that movie came out as, and it came out looking as great as it did, and that it wouldn't like, it was it a super huge hit? Or is it, I always assumed it was more of a cult hit. It, it made money, but it wasn't a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. All right, see, I, a lot of people don't even know that that's, that's a comic book film. But, uh, yeah, it's a good pick. Great movie. Nice. All right, then. So let's move on to your number six. Oh, man, it is my turn, ain't it? <laughs> um, my number six is Joel Schumacher for Batman and Robin for introducing two of the most 
important parts in uh, Batman's arsenal, which is the bat nipples and the bat credit card. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like, <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> I was legitimately dumbstruck at that. <laughs> Yeah. I was sitting here trying to think, uh, am I going to respond to any of this, or am I just going to sit back and be quiet? Uh, it was a joke, and apparently a bad one. I was waiting for like, like a ba-dum, but like, I think even the drummer was confused by that punchline. <laughs> Anyways, my actual number six is uh, Sin City by Robert Rodriguez. Ooh. That's... That's that's one I was thinking about putting on the list, but I was like, well, who do I give the directorial credit to? Because there's three credits on the director, so I wow. wasn't sure to how to approach that one. So I'm glad you I'm glad you put it on your list, though. Um, this is another one of those movies that I feel like is a movie in and of itself, which it had a sequel, but we ain't gonna talk about that. <laughs> but uh. It's literally a comic book brought to life. I mean, Tim, you know that I'm a huge fan of the noir genre. Like, that's my jam. But uh, I feel like Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, and uh, Frank Miller, which I don't know. I'm not 100% on who done what scene. I'm pretty sure that Quentin Tarantino directed the uh, That Yellow Bastard portion of the film. He did... Um... It's when Dwight is driving the, the bodies in the car and um, Jack starts talking to him. That's the scene he directed. That makes sense. That very much feels like a Quentin Tarantino thing. Yeah. But uh, it's, the cast is amazing. Jessica Alba is the weak point, which I'm pretty sure everybody and their mother has, uh, has commented on. Uh, I watched this movie whenever I was was probably too young to be watching. Well, not really. I was around 13 whenever I saw this. But, uh, it, uh, it was one of, like, my parents were never super strict about what I watched, but whenever they saw Miho come, come up with a samurai sword, it, they just about covered my eyes on that. But, uh, I feel like it's a great pulp film made by a great pulp director, which is Robert Rodriguez. And uh, it's a shame that Frank Miller has a director's credit on this because whenever he came out to direct The Spirit, oh, it's like he just copied and pasted it. But, uh, yeah, love Sin City. I'll let Jeremy go first. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it, it, I was going to put it on my list. I was just trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if we're going to talk about comic book movies, I mean, that is like the purest of the pure of bringing a comic book to life. I mean, I would even say it's it more so than Watchmen. I mean, it's just, it's literally watching a comic book in motion. Um, and it was the first movie for me, and I've been saying this for a long time, that showed that, yes, you can have inner monologue in a comic book movie, and I'm still waiting on my Batman movie with inner monologue, because Sin City showed that you can pull it off, and it's it's a beautiful film, and it's one of a kind, and yeah, I, I, I love it. It's a great movie. 
I find it funny that your parents were strict about the samurai swords, but not the swastika uh, ninja stars that Miho has in that. Like, be like, there'll be one thing, like, oh, that's a bit strange to use as a strange weapon to have. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I mean, it was it's in my honorable mentions. And I give the credit to both Rodriguez and Miller. And it, you're right, Jeremy. It's the legitimate closest thing to a comic. It is like a motion comic on the big screen. And I think it's for the best. I, I love the splashes of color throughout. And A Dame to Kill, I think, is a, is maybe like maybe eight, maybe five years too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Ava Green's good in it because Ava Green's great in everything. Um, so yeah, and like, ugh. you know, the thing is, I was gonna just gonna just probably go straight to bed, but I may have to like pass out to Sin City now because it's still sitting next to my Blu-ray player. So I may just like put that on, put a timer on, like, yeah, just watch this and fall asleep to it now. So uh, thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, final thoughts on Sin City. Uh, like you guys said, it's one of a kind. It truly is a comic book film brought to life. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is at, I, this is probably gonna get me some hate mail, but I've always kind of compared to Robert, compared Robert Rodriguez to sort of like a, a cheap man's Tarantino, where Tarantino has a real pop art sensibility where he references films that he likes, but does it in a very, Depending on your taste, highbrow way, and Robert Rodriguez has always made kind of B movies like Machete, but uh, I mean I still enjoy them. It's just different calibers, but I feel like he was arguably the the perfect choice to adapt this without anybody even knowing it. And uh, if he's still attached to the Escape from New York reboot, I'm super super pumped for that. Nice. All right, then. So, Jeremy, your number six. My number six is Joe Johnston. And uh, the movie is Captain America First Avenger. Um, I, I love this movie. Uh, it's, it's a movie that me and my wife watch very frequently. It gets played a lot on uh, FX. Uh, and my wife always leaves it on whenever it comes on. Um, it's another period piece, uh, which, as I said earlier, I love the period piece, uh, comic book movies. Um, and it was, it just brought the character of Captain America to life in the best way possible. Uh, Chris Evans, um, obviously we all know he's amazing. I can't picture anybody else as Captain America. Um, I, I love the direction in this movie and the way it feels almost like, an Indiana Jones movie meets superhero. Um, it's it's just it's my favorite Captain America movie. Uh, I like it more than the Winter Soldier uh, because it it it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it feels like I said it just feels like a great adventure movie. It's you know a superhero adventure movie, and I just love everything about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's just a great movie. I love it. Joe Johnston was the closest one to getting on my list because he uh, he directed 
probably one of the most important films to me, and it's uh, October Sky. Mm, but, that's uh, a good movie. Yeah. Very, very overlooked movie. But uh, I, I love what he done with the first Avenger. I feel like he he just needs to stay in the 40s making films. You know, like, he's just so good mm. at it. Like, yeah. If you look at The Rocketeer, like, it, he was pitch perfect for it. The tone that he said, and just like in First Avenger, the, uh, whenever people announce, you know, whenever they announce Chris Evans, I'm not one that gets super, you know, worried about casting unless it's just something like really off the wall. But, uh, I feel like I was kind of worried, but, in lesser hands, I don't know if Chris Evans was just, you know, like super into the project or if Joe Johnston kind of inspired him to work harder at it. But he was perfect in that movie. Um, whenever he before he got the superhero, the super soldier serum, whenever he was puny, I thought that was really innovative. I mean, it may look a little dated now just because even just in this short like time difference from then to now special effects is you know been upped but i feel like that was really tastefully done and uh my favorite scene in that whole movie is either whenever they go to the stark expo and just seeing uh, it just looks like a straight up love letter to like 40s sci-fi movies whenever he's walking around looking at the displays and everything Mm-hmm. But uh, and I love the Red Skull. He's Hugo Weaving's performance, and that I feel like is really underrated. Whenever people talk about Marvel having a, a villain problem, I always, you know, point to that. I thought that he was a, a pretty great villain. But uh, yeah, good pick. DC Captain, this is your problem. You think your your strengths are, are really uh, good and everything. I forget what the hell the speech is, but when they're on the, uh, the catwalk and he rips off his face. <laughs> you don't have just, one of those, do you? <laughs> just, just monologue as you go weaving like that with a German accent. You got it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, you, I'll go to the bank and see how that far it gets me. Um, uh, I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and I, this is our first date, and so... And that's why we be, like it became like a, a staple. Like we must go see every Marvel movie together. And I think the score of Alan Svestri is like I, I know I've made the joke like oh he's like diet John Williams, but since there's nobody taking up the John Williams mantle as of late, I think Alan Svestri is in more need of we we're in more need of his scores now than ever. And that's why I was so happy he was doing Ready Player One. He's coming back to do Adventures Infinity Wars. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Like you said before, with the um, the Stark Expo, it's like it is what the World's Fair, the World's Fairs that were, that were held was supposed to be, and the kind of future technology that like the kind of like retro future thing that they had, like Tomorrowland, kind of was built on, and something that I find fascinating, and I wish I can go back in time and experience something like that. Uh, I I love the Bucky and. Um, uh, cap relationship um there's so many times when i'm like i like it's so like it's such a bro thing but i'm just like working out and i just like i'm i'm trying to catch my breath and i have to think to myself if cap can say i can do this all day i can do this and that it just gets me charged up to do it and i absolutely 
adore Captain America the First Avenger. However, Joe Johnson's best movie is Jurassic Park 3. Just saying. I lost you again, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. Jeremy, it looks like it's just us. All right, it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay, there we go. Does that that redeem things for you a little bit? I don't know. We'll see how the rest of your list goes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I also love it. I also love the Rocketeer. Um, son of a bitch will fly. Um, all right. Final thoughts on First Avenger and Joe Johnson. Uh, it's it's like I said. It's one of my it's one of my favorite comic book movies. Uh, so it I, it had to be on the list. Uh, and it has one of my favorite lines ever in a movie where he. Uh, is asked, uh, do you want to go kill Nazis? And he says, I don't want to kill anybody. I don't like bullies, and I don't care where they're from. Uh, I, I just love that line. Um, yeah, it's it's just a great, great movie. I'd, I'd like to see uh, Johnston uh, get back behind the director's chair for another Marvel movie in the future. I'd co-sign that. And moving on to my number six, it is Matthew Vaughn with X-Men The First Class. And... Ooh. I know, and I, I said before that Brian Singer's like X2 is my favorite X-Men movie. However, what really came down to the fact is that I feel like Vaughn in, embraced the comic book origins a little bit more than Brian Singer, with obviously with the costumes specifically. And I love the relationship between Eric and... Charles in this movie and how Charles turned Magneto truly into the weapon that he becomes by honing his skill, thinking it would be used for good. And at times it was used for good, but also his skill set being so strong also led to the fact that Charles ends up in the wheelchair because he was just so good to be able to deflect a bullet like that. Um, I feel like Vaughn Brigham was one of the best um, before got one of the best performances out of Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, for, for the longest time on my phone, I had a picture of Sebastian Shaw when he goes into the CIA, um, the room where all the mutants are in, and he's got the smile on his face, and he's kind of like trying to entice them to coming in over to his side. I always say, "Hi, my name is Sebastian Shaw, and I like to talk to you about my friend Jesus Christ," because, <laughs> <laughs> because like I can see him like being just like coming to your door, like, "All right, this is charming enough to talk me into religion. I'm fine." Um, but the first scene when he's trying to turn Eric into a weapon, how he's like, Wunderbar! is so giddy as he's getting, as Eric loses his shit and kills the two Nazis and tears up the room and his downfall with the coin and everything, I just find just wonderful. And the 60s vibe, it seems so authentic. And then how Vaughn would also get a jump to do Kick-Ass and then the Kingsman movies. I'm hesitant at the fact that he might be doing Man of Steel 2, if that's a ca- if that's the case. But I mean, if it's going to be how Justice League ended, where it's like more traditional, okay. And if it's like Man of Tomorrow and we're going to get Brainiac, sure, I'll go with that. If he, Because I, I, I know he's made the statements that he wants to do something more akin to Dick Donner. I'm like, okay, I just hope this don't erase exact- everything that Zack Snyder has done with his three movies leading up to this. So yeah, that's my feelings on my number six, <laughs> Matthew Vaughn. I uh, I will totally concede the fact that I feel like Matthew Vaughn embraced the comic book roots a lot more than Brian Singer did. It, I, I just feel like 
Brian Singer was more interested in telling a Matrix type story, and that's not even that's not me bashing on the costumes again. Just uh, just the type of storytelling he was going after, while Matthew Vaughn was making more of a comic book film. And I I really love this movie. It came out around the time that it actually came out the summer that I graduated high school, and uh, me and one of my buddies went and watched it every bit of like probably close to 10 times in theaters. Um, Kevin Bacon has only been better in one other movie and that's James Wan's death sentence. But, uh, yeah, love this movie. I thought you were going to say tremors, but I agree. Death sentence. He's fantastic. <laughs> in. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things I can never take away from the X-Men movies is <clears throat> the enormous talent that they've always brought in for these things. Uh, it's just, unfortunately, the, the scripts and some of the direction just doesn't utilize the talent that I feel that they have. Um, First Class is one of those rare cases where it it, it did work in a lot of ways, Uh Fassbender is just amazing in this movie. Um, I love his Magneto. It's unfortunate that I I feel like this was the only one of his performances where he got to really um, shine. Uh, I I don't feel like they really progressed his his character with the other films uh, like I would have hoped they would have. Um, but yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely a good X Men movie. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the X-Men franchise, but this is one, like I said earlier, I, I can't really knock it a whole lot because I, I think it did have a lot of talent. I think Matthew Vaughn did a better job with the characters and the direction. I love that it took place in the sixties cause that's when the X-Men were created in the comics. And I feel like I, that feels at home for me in a lot of ways for an X-Men movie. I think that's a, a really smart choice to do that. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a decent movie. I, I I like it a lot for a lot of reasons. About that uh that Magneto angle, um if X Men Origins Wolverine would have been a big hit, then uh this was gonna be a Origins movie for Magneto. And it was gonna be, you know, purely Magneto. But because Origins wasn't a huge hit, they uh they worked it around and made an X-Men film out of it because they enjoyed the script so much. Hmm. I could see that. I could, I could still see remnants of that idea even in first class. I mean, cause it's still, it's still heavy, heavily directed at Magneto. The story oh, yeah. is. Yeah. So I can uh, see that. Like whenever he uh, is hunting down the Nazis, like in Argentina and stuff that just feels like a, uh, honestly, it kind of feels like what, Bond done with Kingsman, and he made like a Magneto 007 movie somehow. That's what I was going to say. Like, you mm. see that scene in the bar with the two <clears throat> Nazis, and you say, Michael Fassbender could be Bond. He could be. I'd, I'd yeah, yeah, he could, yeah. I'd, I'd watch that. And uh, another thing this movie introduced was James McAvoy, which I love his Xavier. It's too bad that. It got shat away in Apocalypse. Yeah, let's not talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was I, that was legitimately 
I mean, seriously, that was the first comic book movie I ever saw in the theater where I considered walking out was X-Men Apocalypse. And it pains me to say that, but I just did not enjoy it at all. The, uh, the moment that I'm like, okay, I have a feeling I'm not going to like this. I mean, there's still very small parts that I, I enjoy, but I'm not going to defend it. But the moment that it like really rubbed me the wrong way is whenever they killed Havoc off screen like that. Ugh. That's, that's a sin that I can't even abide. I, you can tell that Singer has some, had some sort of like little agenda to wipe out as many people from first class as he can and replace them with ca- like the cast of his movie. I mean, you just look at how many people were killed off off screen between first class and days of future past. Oh yeah. And uh like Banshee in first class, like I have never liked Banshee in the comic books. Ever. And I really, really dug Banshee in first class. Like I was excited to see more of him in Days of Future Past. And that was a disappointment in that movie as well. I mean, the one thing I will say in Apocalypse's defense when my girlfriend at the time and I saw it, we saw it in a theater with a broken AC. And so it was ungodly hot in the movie theater. Now, movie begins, I forget about the AC being broken. As soon as the movie's over, I I am reminded, oh, there's a broken AC here and I'm sweating bullets. The movie had my attention for so much that I forgot the fact that I was sitting in a sauna watching the movie. (laughs) <laughs> so so the the moral behind that story is uh, right next to your toolbox keep a copy of X-Men Apocalypse for in case your AC messes up yes and, and just, just pop that thing in whenever it happens yeah I mean <clears throat> this is winter is never ending in this state the past couple of weeks I don't think I'm going to need that <laughs> this is this is ridiculous anyway uh, yeah and um, I absolutely adore first class and yeah, that's my number six. All right. Now, Justin, you're number five. We're made to the top five guys. Woo. Woo. Oh, peach poke. You owe me a Coke. Oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. But, uh, I'm number five <clears throat> is Sam Raimi for Spider-Man. Oh. Yeah. This is probably the closest that I could get. You know, I w- obviously I wasn't around during the Donner days, and I wasn't brought up watching Superman the movie. In fact, I never even I haven't I haven't even seen Superman two. But uh, this is how I feel. How I feel about this movie is how I, I think most people feel about Richard Donner's Superman because it it's a movie that has so much heart and it has great moments of levity as great emotional scenes. Um, also another unpopular opinion. I love the Nickelback song in this. I know, I know, but so uh, do I, I'll, I'll die the hill with you. Yeah, that's right. Hey, that's the only one I have on my iPad. So, okay. Line us, line us all three up and uh, put us out of our misery. <laughs> I was going to say, like, all right, fire squad, <laughs> here we come. <laughs> um, 
I feel like Toby Maguire was a really interesting choice, and he really pulled it off. Uh, the only really big knock is the Power Rangers suit that they gave Green Goblin. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whenever you have a face like William Defoe, that dude is the Green Goblin, okay? You could give him some yeah. body paint and he throw him on a glider and he's set. <laughs> but uh, this is a movie that earlier I mentioned that there's two other movies besides X- X2 that I watched repeatedly. And this is one of them. I remember seeing it at the drive-in. That's right, the drive-in. And uh, just totally blown away. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge, you know, Batman's my favorite individual superhero. But uh, back then, Spider-Man gave him a run for his money because I was wrapped up in the Spider-Mania of the early 2000s. And uh, Spider-Man 2 is just as good. It's just Spider-Man 1, I have a lot of nostalgia for that movie. And nostalgia goes a long way. So wait, you don't have a pizzeria near you but you have a drive-in uh had oh, oh no there's there still is a drive-in never mind yeah i have a drive-in no pizzeria well we do have okay this is gonna be a short tangent but uh we have like some chained pizza joints you know like Domino's and pizza and stuff like right. a, like a county over but a uh, legit like individually owned pizza joint uh there's one close to us, but no, just no. <laughs> it's 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 the water. That's what I'm saying. That's what that's the secret. That's the secret ingredient to good pizza. It's whatever water they use to make the dough. <laughs> uh, also, I used to work at a Pizza Hut back in high school, and uh, that that kind of ruined me on Pizza Hut. So that that's automatically out. The thing is, I was going to try to get some Pizza Hut this weekend because I wanted some stuffed crust pizza. I know it's kind of sacrilege to say that in New York, but I kind of want it. But now you kind of, you're har- harshing my buzz on doing that now. Uh, <laughs> well, whenever we get off air, I, I, I can tell you things, Tim, and you'll never eat at the hut again. Ooh. Don't kill my childhood, Justin. <laughs> oh, I'm going to George Lucas the crap out of your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the quote of the show right there. <laughs> uh, your feelings on Spider-Man, then, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I, it's it's a great pick. I'm not ready to talk about Sam Raimi, but um, yeah, I'll agree with everything Justin said on it. Look at this, Jeremy. We're getting closer and closer, man. And uh, we are. <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm gonna have to repeat Jeremy's uh, sentiments. I'm not ready to talk about Sam Raimi. Oh, no. <laughs> now I feel bad having him as number five. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. <clears throat> um, then um, final thoughts on the first Spider-Man. Uh, I feel like the – I know Andy DiGenova has also posted this before in the real fans group, but I feel like this is a really underappreciated trilogy of films in the comic book genre. Spider-Man 3 – that's like whenever people talk about studio meddling, that's probably the prime example that I have. You know, it's still enjoyable. I really, honestly, I really dug Sandman in that movie, but that's the weakest chapter in that. But uh, I highly recommend watching all the films as often as you can because they're as close to Donner's Superman as 2,000 kids are going to get. 
I agree. And moving on, so uh, Jeremy, you're number five. Um, my number five is the Russo brothers, and my pick for the Russo brothers because I know they have a couple uh, is Captain America: Civil War at, or Avengers uh-huh. two point five, as as a lot of us call it. Uh, so I guess it's my turn to defend Civil War. I guess. Um, Obviously, most people would put Winter Soldier as their favorite. Um, I'll never, I'll never debate Winter Soldier being a great film. I think it's a great film, but for me, um, it doesn't hit me as a comic book movie the way I like my comic book movies. Um, it, it feels more like an espionage type movie, which is fine. Like I said, it's a great movie, but uh, for me, Civil War, I just—it's it, a movie I just enjoy the hell out of it. It's—it's it's a great ride. Um, I personally, I love all the other plot points to it. I like the villain. I thought, um, I thought, uh, I thought the villain choice was interesting. I liked all the different little story arcs that were going on. How it all culminated at the end with Tony and. And um, and Steve, um, and I love the fact that the Russo brothers were able to take all these characters, put them in one movie, and I don't really feel like anybody got shortchanged in this movie. And that's that's a pretty good feat uh, to pull off to have that many characters in this movie, and and not feel like any of them were wasted or shortchanged, um, at least the ones that you cared about. Um, I guess Hawkeye got a little shortchanged, but I don't think anybody's going to feel bad about that. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I just love it. I love the introduction of Peter Parker in this movie. I love Spider-Man in this movie. Um, it's just it's just a great ride. It's a fun comic book movie. And, and to be honest with you, at the end of the day, like, I'll take that over any dark, serious, you know, Serious, serious comic book movie. If it's if it's a great time and it's enjoyable, I'll take that all day long. And Civil War, you know, I know, I know, like Justin mentioned earlier, it it, it does feel like one of those movies where they're just trying to sell you on the next movie. Um, and I know it's it, people were let down that it's it's a sequel to the Winter Soldier, um, but you know, if I take it just as a film on its own, uh, it's just it's just a great ride. It's just a lot of fun. I always put it on um, my digital copy. It's just, I, I just love it. I, I love that they changed uh, some of the story arcs from the comics. Uh, I thought it was the way they tied it into the events of the MCU, what was going on to kind of build the civil war story arc. I thought it was brilliant. Um, yeah, it's just, I love it. I won't apologize. I like Civil War more than Winter Soldier. I enjoy it a lot more. So, and that'll be it for me tonight. It's been good. It's been fun. <laughs> the, uh, I will say that I enjoyed a lot of Civil War. The the part that turned me off about it, well, parts. There's two of them. The first thing was, well, as I mentioned earlier, it kind of feels like they took away Cap's third movie because I feel like they could have really went a lot further with it, with the uh, Bucky story than they did. But 
I do feel like they're all setting it up for what's going to happen in Infinity War. You know, like like I said, they're constantly setting up the next movie. That's good and bad, but uh, I feel like that's going to have more of a payoff later down the road. Uh, the second thing is the scene that everybody loves the most, and that is the airport scene. Because I feel like that is the epitome of what I do not like in Marvel movies. And uh, that's, that's if you remember Jamie Drewley's comments about it, about humor, it's, it's not a matter of me not liking humor, it's just whenever it's supposed to be a very serious moment, and it, it feels shortchanged to me whenever they do that. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 being the worst offender, but uh, yeah, that, that's my biggest problem. Like, I really enjoy Black Panther's art throughout the movie. And I really like what they've done with Bucky, Cap, and Tony. I, I thought that was really neat and a really good way of utilizing Bucky's comic book stories. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't disagree with people with the airport scene, with the humor. Uh, I guess for me, <clears throat> the reason it doesn't bother me as much is because unlike Guardians Volume 2, it's just a small piece of the movie. Um, I think the Bucky, uh, Steve, and Tony story is is the you know is the biggest attraction for the movie for me. Um, I know a lot of people don't think Cap has really a, a story arc in Civil War, but I disagree with that. I think he has a really good story arc in it. Uh, the fact that he you know he stands his ground and he's he holds to his convictions and his morals uh, no matter what. And because of that, he, he ends up losing, losing Tony at the end of the movie. Um, and we're not really sure how that relationship is yet. You know, I know a lot of people were like, Oh, well it was all, it was all fixed at the end of civil war. So it was pretty much a wasted story arc, but we don't really know until infinity war comes along. We don't know how that relationship's going to actually be, uh, from the start of that movie. So, um, I I I thought Cap had a great story arc in Civil War. Uh, I may be in a minority on it, but you know the whole thing with him at at um at the funeral, you know, and just you know Black Widow trying to push him, you know, and him just holding to his convictions, uh, not you know not giving in, and I just I I just like it. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, it just I, works for me. <laughs> I, I will say that Cap does have an arc. Like whenever people say that, you know, Cap does nothing throughout the whole movie, I I disagree pretty strongly with that. Like you know, he has great moments in it. I just feel like it's overly crowded at times. But I am excited for Infinity War though. I'm I really want to see like with that ending. You know, everyone says, "Oh well, you know, they talked at the end." I'm like, "No, they didn't." They, they didn't talk. They didn't make up. That was, what, a phone call? A, a voicemail? Yeah. That that was it. That was a one-sided message. That wasn't that wasn't a reconciliation at all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really contest any of your points. It's just my, my biggest beef with that is, like I said, is just their need to sell the next movie instead of worrying about the story they're telling this time. My biggest issue with Civil War <clears throat> is that 
as a bigger indictment of the MCU in general is that there's no stakes, that there was no consequences of their actions. If you really wanted Civil War to feel like it had both sides wake up and realize they've done something wrong, you should have killed Rhodes. I know that's yeah, that, a terrible thought to say because I love Don Cheadle and there's, a, there's before Black Panther there's not many African American characters in the MCU but if you want to make that and feel impactful you kill off his character and both sides sober up like that there was I don't really understand why they I mean I get why they didn't you know but because I mean at the end of the day these are comic book movies for the most part and you know they don't want to want every single one to be super somber and everything, but I feel like they had an out with being able to do that. You know, like they set it up to where Rhodes could die, and, you know, it would really push the story further. Hmm. Well, I guess my only rebuttal to that would be if Rhodes had died, would the climax of the movie been different? Because would Tony have even showed up to try to help Steve and Bucky, you know, would that, would that, would that have been it? You know, we wouldn't have had that climax between those three at the end of the movie, the way that we did, because Tony, I I don't know that Tony would have been able to forgive regardless of if he was wrong, um, with the Zemo thing. If, if Rhodes had been killed in that battle, I think it would have just been a whole different, whole different story at the end of the at the end of the movie because that's one of the things i really like about the end of the movie is you do get that great moment of you know you you think that the fences are mended and then the revelation of bucky killing tony's parents and just that great moment between tony and steve you know where where tony realizes that steve knew about it and didn't tell him and it just and that's why I forgive the airport scene for the humor because you do have that emotional climax climax at the end of the movie to kind of, you know, it's not ended on a light heart joke. You know, it, it, it's ended on, in my opinion, there are some stakes at the end of the movie because you see a friendship fall apart and you feel that in that fight between Steve and Tony. They're not... They're not joking with each other as they're punching each other in that scene. It's it's a lot of emotion and a lot of a hate and just feelings coming out in that fight, and that's why it works for me. You know, I, I really that that's a good outlook. You know, because I mean, there isn't physical stakes, but there's emotional ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I can't argue with you on that. That's that's a good point because I feel like Tony would have showed up at the end. Not to talk, but he would have just went straight to swinging. Mm-hmm. And you're right; it would have been a totally, totally different movie into some. You know, I'm sure that would have been a better movie, but I like that movie for the most part. So I, I can't contest you on that. Yeah, I mean, like my biggest complaint about Zemo's plan—I feel like it's just Loki's plan just done successfully by both of them want to tear the Avengers apart from within, which makes sense because it's really the only way you can do that is to break them off like kind of like a, a bridge, just like one pillar at a time. So, yeah, I mean, I'll give it crap, but like it makes sense that they would do that. I mean, it's like I'll, I'll go back and watch it because I, 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 I love the stuff of Peter Parker. Um, I do think 
the humor between actually um, Black Widow and Hawkeye, I think that would be appropriate for the airport scene because they are still friends and they would be pulling their punches. Everybody else may make jokes, maybe not so much. Um, but maybe even Peter Parker, like he's like, whoa, you have a metal arm? That is so cool. Like, yes, Peter would make that joke. And so, yeah, that's why I enjoy I, I, I am. The, I don't have the problems with the airport scene that people have. I still think it's a great set piece. I was just, overall, the movie, I feel like, like I said before, I think kind of like, even though Steve has an arc through it, I do feel like he is a, he does play second fiddle into his own, supposedly, conclusion to his trilogy. But, final thoughts on Civil War, Jeremy? Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite movies in the MCU. Um, I mean, I've never really thought of, I've never actually put the MCU movies in order from my favorite to least favorite, but, uh, it may be, it may be up there in the top two. Um, it's, it's, like I said, it's a fun ride. It has a lot of eye candy for a comic book fan. Um, regardless of, of the jokes in the airport scene. I mean, you, I, I don't see how anybody can't sit and watch that and at least crack a smile at some point because it is just so fun. And I love the story arc and I love, I think it has one of the best climaxes in, in any comic book movie uh, with Iron Man and Captain America going toe to toe. It's, it's just a great, great movie in my opinion. Nice. And moving on to my number five, my number five, my fifth pick is Joss Whedon. And the movie, obviously, Justice League. I want to. I just want to praise him for everything he's done. In that. <laughs> See, that's how I get shanked at a comic book convention for saying that. He defeated the mustache. Yes. <laughs> no, I am, of course, talking about the first Avengers, and the reason being why I feel like he is on the list, and John Favreau isn't on my list, is that. Kind, he's now in an echelon with Dick Donner and Tim Burns because he proved that a team-up movie can work. Sure, the story is rather simple. You can argue if you do not like Mark Ruffalo's casting as Bruce Banner. I know uh, Jamie and Guy have said like they 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 prefer Edward Norton's performance, and that's fair. I really enjoy it. I love the scenes that. Um, the introduction scene between him and Black Widow, I find that to be amazing. It, it was, I was so blown away with it, and a little teaser, I mean, like, because I'm going to do a big MCU retrospective leading up to Infinity War. Um, I, was, I saw this when I was in college, and it was just one of those things. It was just, I was immediately blown away, and it said, okay, and this is before Dark Knight Rises, but it was as after the Dark Knight, and, like, how comic book movies have become through the kind of the Nolan vision of it is like, no, we can have fun comic book movies again. And how it was the first MC movie to be shot digitally hundred um, percent, which for better or for worse, because I think there's a, there's a great video as say on the color grading of the MCU movies you can find on YouTube. And it says like, why are MCU movies so ugly? Um, that gives that goes into great detail, but I think it's just Alan Silvestri's score is fantastic. I think the the seeds to where Civil War happens is set up in the Avengers, where there's the first scene between um, Tony and and Steve getting their face because they're all being 
manipulated by the mind gem that's in there, or not the mind gem, the, uh, I forget which, which gem it is. Um, yeah, it was just, I watch it and I watch it in awe because it's like, like, uh, Winter Soldier, I'm like, all right, that's the kind of, that's another standard that all the MCU movies have to be, uh, compared to. And that's why I adore the first Avengers. And silence. <laughs> uh, um, this one was tough to keep off my list because it, because of the importance um, of what it represented for comic book movies. Um, it, it was definitely a, a big deal when it came out, and I I don't even remember how many times I saw it in the theater. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't contest anybody having it on their list, uh, and Joss Whedon. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that he, uh, couldn't follow it up with, with, with the age of Ultron that we got in the age of Ultron trailer. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's a great, it's a great film. I, I love it. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. It's infinitely rewatchable. I can yeah. sure say that. Yeah. I think I saw it. Four times in theaters, I think. That summer, I'm pretty sure I saw that four times in theaters. Now thinking about it, and I, I watched it a myriad of times since then. And yeah, you're right; it's infinitely rewatchable. And I just, I can gush about it m- much more, but I'm gonna stop myself. <laughs> well, I guess for me too, you know, because we've been talking a lot about these movies that feel like they're just setting up the next the next movie and that's kind of how the mcu feels anymore um i feel like this was like kind of the last movie in the mcu that didn't have that feeling as much i mean yeah you could you could argue well it showed us thanos and you know all that stuff but it really in a lot of ways if you take out the thanos stuff it felt like a book like a bookend to to phase one and I feel like feel like the other phases don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel like they have a book in, if that makes any sense. Whereas I feel like the first Avengers movie was just a great book in to to phase one. But everything that's come come after that feels like, you know, kind of what Justin was saying, how it just each movie just continues to just feel like it's just getting you excited for the next movie. You know, it doesn't feel like there's a book in for each one of these phases anymore. I mean, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Or Yeah, I feel like this is the last great payoff at the end of a phase. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was all or nothing at this point. If this if this flopped, I don't think the MCU would have continued. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it was kind of like everything was thrown in. And so I think it's probably why Feige and the studio is more controlling an Age of Ultron and kind of into a stranglehold and it became a detriment to that movie. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that, like, oh, whatever we put our name on, you'll come and see. Hence why movies like Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange were greenlit. That's my yeah. opinion, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it, at least with... And it's maybe it's something you can't get back. Maybe it's something that we only got in phase one, and you're not going to get it. But 
I, I, I really like the idea of each one of these phases feeling like their own kind of story where you're building to that final film of the phase. Uh, whereas now, like, I feel like we're building towards something, but I don't really know where the end game is for each phase because it feels like they're just continuing to pile on more and more stuff to where you don't really have that like you did with, with phase one. I agree with that because, I mean, like, all the Phase 1 movies had connective tissue to each other, but it wasn't like like it is now where there's constant Easter eggs. Everybody, not it's not the fact that people are showing up in other characters' movies. It's just, like, it feels like no one really has true solo movies anymore. It, mm-hmm. I mean, besides, like, Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. But, I mean, it feels like, kind of like what? the best argument I hear against the Star Wars prequels of all things is like it, it continues to make the universe smaller when they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Thor 1 and Iron Man, same phase, same connective tissue, but they don't feel like the same movie, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. Guess, I, I agree. But yeah, so yeah, that's my number fifth pick. And so, as I know, we've been going long now, so I may be trying to speed it up a little bit. But uh, Justin, you're number four. My number four is Hellboy, Guillermo del Toro. Ooh. Uh, this was this is the uh, the third of those movies that I mentioned where I watched the absolute crap out of it whenever I was younger. Um, Del Toro, he, uh, he's, there's only a handful of filmmakers that I feel like have their own style now, and he's one of them. I mean, like you mentioned, he's, he's best whenever he's telling stories, not with CGI creations, with puppets, and, and really elaborate makeups, like Samuel. And uh, I love that he is always on the viewpoint of the outsider, which at times I've heard people complain that it's like he hates humans, but I'm, I'm not of that camp. I mean, it felt it felt really original. I loved, loved the intro that was set back in World War II. I felt like that was really unique. It felt like a horror film. It's, it's probably the best Lovecraft film that's not based on a Lovecraft work. And uh, it shows how good a uh, and a non-traditional superhero property can be adapted to great success into something really special. I'll disagree by saying maybe In the Mouth of Madness is probably the closest to a Lovecraft movie that's not based off. Uh, a true Lovecraft story, but you're right. Just the sheer scope of it, and like how the old, like the creature they're bringing into this world is kind of like the old ones that he, Lovecraft always wrote about. And you're right. I I love the World War II intro. I think I don't. Th- and going back to what you're saying, I don't think Del Toro hates humans. I just think like he's an outsider, and he probably maybe has feelings towards people who are kind of like considered normal or what have you, so 
Right. Well, he can use he can use monsters in a way to where it's like an outsider's avatar into a different viewpoint. You know. Right. But yeah, I love this and the sequel, but I think that I enjoy this a little bit more. <clears throat> um, confession time. I, I never oh, saw man. Hell I never saw Hellboy two. Uh, I saw Hellboy one, I think maybe once or twice, but it's been years. Um I have nothing against them. Uh they were just they were just movies that I just at the time I didn't I don't think gave them a fair shake. Uh, so I need to, I need to actually go back and rewatch them, uh, especially after, you know, actually falling in love a lot more with Guillermo del Toro, um, over the past years. So, um, I, I definitely need to revisit them to really get a, get a full grasp on a, on an honest opinion of them. But, uh, I mean, Ron Perlman, how can you not love Ron Perlman? So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much thoughts on them because I, I honestly can't remember a whole lot about the first film, and I never saw the second one. So, well, you get some crazy people like Guy Milks that says that uh, the second one is better than the first one, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's you got to keep in mind it's Guy Milks. So, that, yeah, no, that's that's just Guy being Guy. Um, your final guy- thoughts. Guy doesn't like Return of the Jedi, so... I know, he doesn't like Ewoks, the monster, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final thoughts, uh, Hellboy is a fresh entry into a, even then, ever-populating genre. Um, cast is great, direction's great. Del Toro, I feel like this is my favorite Del Toro film. It may not be like objectively his best, but it's my personal favorite. I feel like this is a franchise he was tailor-made for, and I wish he was coming back for the third part. Nice. All right, and Jeremy, you're number four. Uh, my number four is a name that everyone knows, uh, and that is Zack Snyder. Um and my favorite comic book movie from Zack Snyder um, is Man of Steel. Um, and the reason for that is uh, Zack Snyder gave finally gave me a Superman movie uh, that made me fall in love with the character. Um, unlike most people, I... I didn't really grow up with the Christopher Reeves Superman movie playing in my house. Uh, obviously, I knew of it. I had seen it, but it wasn't a movie that really sold me on the character, if that makes any sense. Uh, it's nothing against it. I, you know, I love Christopher Reeve. I love, you know, his performance and stuff, but it just it wasn't a movie that sold me on Superman as a as a great character, in my opinion. It just that era of Superman just always felt it, I'm trying to think of the right word. It, it felt like a, a product of the times. Um, and it just, for me, you know, being born in 83, by the time I was old enough to watch that, I, I already felt like I was too old for it, or it felt kind of dated to me. And that's how it's always felt. Um, I still respect the film 
uh, in that version of Superman for what it represents and what it did for the genre. But it, I've just never had a Superman movie. Um, and Zack Snyder gave me that with Man of Steel. Um, and as much as I followed the DCEU and I like a lot of the other entries, uh, I still think Man of Steel is the best overall movie in the DCEU. And um, Henry Cavill is my Superman. Um, I love the visuals in this movie. I love the story that he tells in this movie. Um, I don't have really any issues with it like a lot of people do. Um, you know, I, I could argue some days that the third act is a little long and goes on a little too long, but then there's some days where I just enjoy the hell out of it and I don't care. So, um, yeah, Man of Steel, Zack Snyder. I'm not ready to talk about Snyder. <laughs> um, I'm not ready to talk about Snyder. Well, shit. All right, moving right along. All right, then uh, moving on to my number four. <laughs> I'll just say uh, I adore Man of Steel. As you can tell from my review, I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, number four is, uh, for me, is um, Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman. And the reason being is because not only did Patty Jenkins had to make the first Wonder Woman movie, not only did she have to be bring one of the first female superhero movies to the table and not have it suck, I'm looking at you, Catwoman and Elektra, and even the Supergirl movie. How dare you, sir? What? Which one of those three are you really going to defend? All three. Well, just get, just I was going to say, like, well, I was going to unplug my computer, and then uh, <laughs> that'll be the day. Um... And not and not just that, she had to make a movie that somehow pleased fans and critics that were in, that were increasingly being divided about the DCEU. And not only she did that, she surpassed it. And I think that's something to to coin a phrase to marvel at. If I was going to be cute about it. Um, <laughs> If it was going to be about the distinguished uh, competition, as Stan Lee would like to say about the DC movies, or DC brand, I should say. Um, She gave Gal Gadot even more to do with as a character. I think the No Man's Land sequence will go down in history as one of the best character reveals of a superhero and just a great action set piece. I mean, when... Hell, even like I think the the use of the, the shield with both uh, Antiope and um, Wonder Woman later on, the score. I feel like the one thing the one thing I I would change to that movie is that when she's kind of like shell shocked and she can't hear anything when Steve's talking to her, I would have kept that secret. I I should have kept that like we should have never heard what he said because I think like they would have made that pain of losing him even more powerful is because we never got the resolution and she never got to find out what his final words were. But then again, I'm a heartless bastard. I won the toys and die at the end of Toy Story 3. So I wanted to have the Terminator 2 ending in Toy Story 3, but I know that was not going to happen. So yeah, that's my feelings on Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman. I'll co-sign everything you said, and I even like that little uh, 
uh, change in the script idea that you had. That's 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 an interesting idea. Uh, but yeah, I think I said already <laughs> all my thoughts on Wonder Woman. So yeah, good pick. Yeah, and I know Justin's feelings on Wonder Woman, so we don't have to go down that dark <laughs> alley again. Uh, <laughs> it's all good, it, and I understand the third act is a bit wonky with the reveal and the big CGI fest. If if it was not, honestly, I could I could have went with the reveal because I, I feel like what they done with Ares was actually really neat, but but the uh, CGI slugfest it, it, it lost it for me. It's like clacking two bricks together. <laughs> that final yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it just it just didn't work for me. And it it kind of. I mean, it shouldn't have, but it, it kind of brought it down in in my esteem, anyways. That's fair, but you're number three, sir. My number three, which I don't know, I I kind of want to just scribble this out and replace it because this is gonna, probably what's going to earn me some. Uh, some of that hate mail is uh is Nolan. It's not the fact that he's my number three. It's the fact that if we were taking in these directors' other works, he uh, he'd probably not even be on my list. Huh. But uh, what I do love about the first two entries, that well, my favorite one is Batman Begins. But uh, what I love about his first two entries, anyways, is uh, how he obviously reinvented the character in a cinematic way, but he also used tropes is the wrong is the wrong word, but that's what I'm gonna say. Uh, tropes from like noir detective stories that it just fits the character and it gave me the the Batman that I've always wanted on screen, I feel like he could have leaned in a little bit, even a little bit more on the detective angle and it would have been great. But, uh, yeah, love Batman begins. The, uh, I never said thank you scene gives me goosebumps every time. It's best Jim Gordon we've ever had. Love that movie and dark Knight. I love dark Knight, but, I went on the record with saying I have, I feel like Nolan has a strange way of ending movies. Like he has third act problems for me. Lord knows that's an unpopular opinion, but I know Tim, me, you, and Guy had a pretty lengthy discussion about it in the real fans group about like how the ending of Memento didn't work for Guy and the ending of interstellar really didn't work for me but uh all that aside i I have to say he made fantastic batman films and i still do check out his work even though i may not be his biggest supporter i'm not ready to talk about him or this movie so uh jeremy uh, I'm not ready to talk about him yet. Well, all right, move <laughs> on then. <laughs> uh, then, Jeremy, you're number three. All right, now I'm ready to talk about him. Oh, God uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three is Christopher Nolan, and um, my favorite Christopher Nolan comic book movie is The Dark Knight. Um, <clears throat> I, it's... And I know, I know, I 
I'm pretty sure I've gone on record too as saying Batman Begins is is the best Batman story that Nolan told, um, and I still believe that. I think Batman Begins is probably the best Batman movie in terms of a Batman story that we've ever gotten. Um, but The Dark Knight, um, it, it's one of the few, if not only, movies that I've ever walked out of the theater after it was over and was completely speechless. Didn't know what to say because I was just completely blown away by it. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Heath Ledger's performance and his characterization of the Joker. Uh, it was just so polarizing. Um, I still enjoy the dark Knight rises for what it is, but my biggest issue with the dark Knight rises is it always feels like, I always have that what if um, mentality with The Dark Knight Rises. It always feels like a movie that was made because because Heath Ledger passed away, we had to tell a different story. It never feels like a continuation of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. It actually feels more like a continuation of Batman Begins. It feels like a direct sequel to Batman Begins if you took out the Harvey Dent stuff. Uh because the Joker is not even mentioned in it, um, which is a shame, and I understand why Nolan did that, but that's why it just it, it's never going to be a movie that I put on par with Batman Begins and The Dark Knight because it it feels like a movie that was that was written and made because they had to go a different direction with it. Um, but The Dark Knight for me, it's just like eighty nine Batman. Uh, the Dark Knight for me is like the quintessential Joker uh, movie for me. As I'm sitting here recording with you guys, I have a giant canvas picture of Heath Ledger's Joker in front of me, and I have his clown mask from the bank heist uh, hanging on my wall next to my TV in my basement. So uh, it's just it's one of those movies next to 89 Batman. It's those are my two Batman movies, um, and it's just. I, I I can't even name off how many how many scenes in that movie are just blew me away. So it's it's the Dark Knight all the way. Nice. Uh, I'm not ready to talk about Nolan just yet. Very soon, I'll give it that. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so uh, yeah. Then any final thoughts you have on Nolan? I, you know. Uh, you know, the thing is with Nolan, uh, the, if I do have a critique with Nolan, uh, I actually didn't really discover Nolan until the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and I've went back, you know, since then and have watched a lot of his catalog. Uh, and the one thing I will say is uh, all his movies feel like Christopher Nolan, which isn't a bad thing. They should feel like a Christopher Nolan movie. But even after going back and watching his other movies – it, it kind of took some of the some of the distinctiveness away from the Dark Knight trilogy for me because I do see more of his other movies in the Dark Knight trilogy, whereas I didn't before. Uh, and it's not really a knock, but it's just it's interesting. Like when I go back and I watch Inception or you know The Prestige, and he likes to use a lot of the same cast, uh, and it's just kind of this weird thing, you know it. It, it, you know, you watch the prestige and it definitely looks like 
scenes from it look like something out of Batman Begins. It's just kind of a weird thing. Um, I don't know if it's really a knock, but it's just something I've noticed. And maybe it's just, I guess, his style. But I guess it takes away some of the comic book comic bookness of the Dark Knight trilogy, I guess, for me, because they they really feel more like Christopher Nolan movies than they do comic book movies, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does, because I guess you could say a criticism of his comic book movies is that he was not interested in making comic book movies. He was making crime movies with or, yeah, crime movies with a comic book character in it. Yeah. That's a better way to say it, yeah. Yeah, and so, or, and like, with, with Rise is a disaster movie with a comic book character in it. And I guess that's one of the reasons why, like, as much as I love the Dark Knight trilogy and Christopher Nolan, like, I don't know how many other comic book characters I would like to see Christopher Nolan tackle that his style would work for, you know? It's just a small, small, I don't even know if you want to call it a critique, but it's just a, a question I have of his ability to to do comic book movies is I don't know how many other characters would actually work for what he wants to do. All right, that that, that makes sense. Um, and so moving on to my number three, it is Sam Raimi, and it is Spider-Man 2. It was... Much like the first Spider-Man, I remember precisely who I saw this movie with. I saw it my friend uh, Darren, and it was in 2004. We saw it in one of the three multi-chains here, around here. And it was just something from I was blown away that, like, it is still very much the Sam Raimi movie. He has, like, his Evil Dead moments when they're trying to um, surgically remove the arms from Doc Ock. We have a empathetic. We don't have a sympathetic. We have an empathetic villain. Um, we we care about um, Peter's relationship to everybody else around him. I think his landlord in Spider Man Two. I think is hilarious. And I think in the the farcical comedy that um, Sam Raimi can inject in this movie is awesome. The raindrops keep falling on my head. Montage. I think is amazing. The train fight. I think is. I, it still holds up as one of the best comic book action set pieces of Doc Ock and Spider-Man fighting all over and him sliding across the pavement trying to keep up with it and then sure we make fun of like the the constipated like or passing kidney stone faces he's trying to stop the train at the end but um and you you can even like critique like oh it's it's post 9-11 New York so we have to band together and stand up for each other like I know it's the biggest criticism at the end of the first Spider-Man the people on the bridge like you mess with all one of us you mess with all of us kind of thing but I think it's more I think it's earned a little bit better in Spider-Man 2 when the passengers of the train stand up for uh, injured Peter Parker um, the evolution that we could have the payoff that or we were promised with the new Green Goblin that never came to really to fruition um, even like the last shot of Mary Jane knowing that yes she has the man he loves and he they both love each other but there's there's a hint of sadness to it it's almost like the graduate that it's like oh yeah the realization is kind of set in of what the price will be paid as dating a superhero I adore it and I can go on for many more hours but it's, we've gone on long enough so I'll stop now yeah, I'm not ready to talk about Raimi yet. Wow. 
All right then. All right, uh, Justin. Uh, like I said, whenever I, I mentioned his first film, I I love Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. Um, I've I've heard that post 9/11 allegorical complaint before, but you know, one could argue that at that point in time we needed to see something like that. You know, it it always struck me as more inspiring that, you know, given what had just happened, that that was, you know, being shown to us on screen. Um, my favorite moment besides that train scene in that entire movie is is probably whenever uh, they're trying to remove Doc Ock's legs, because that is like pure Raimi. And uh, it's just another one of those films where a director gets to make his own mark, making a movie, even a sequel to his, to a movie. And uh, I was curious about what you guys would was that uh, what you guys would think about a James Cameron Spider-Man movie? Because I know he was mentioned as you know taking that project on before Raimi. I was curious what you guys thought about that. I read at least a little bit of the screenplay. And how Arnold was supposed to play Doc Ock and Edward Furlong, who played John Connor in T2, was going to play Peter Parker. I'm not too sure. What? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I presume this is before the drugs. <laughs> and the weight oh, gain. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I heard there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of puberty allegories in the first screenplay that was James Cameron's? Is, is that accurate or is that... Yeah, I could see that. I mean, like, that's... I mean, hell, that's, like, the the crux of, like, other Marvel characters, like the X-Men. Like, that's usually when your mutation hits. And, like, I read, like, I think it was the first, like, 20 pages I read, and I think that that was something that was kind of hinted at, yeah. Well, the, the one I heard was uh, specifically where he wakes up and he webbed himself to the bed... Oh no! Oh, well. Yeah. Is he sleeping? This just this just sounds like a bad idea all around. Yeah, which I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> Edward Furlong. Keep that in mind. All that happening, Edward Furlong. Uh, I mean, I guess he would just wear a sock to bed afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Aunt May's wondering, like, why do you have to keep buying new socks? Well, it's a long story. Um, and whenever, whenever she does laundry, it's going to sound like she has, like, cinder blocks going around in the washing <laughs> machine. Uh, breaking. She has to go to the laundromat to do the laundry now because she, she can't risk breaking her own machine. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, oh, J.K. Simmons. I can't believe we haven't mentioned him. Oh man, that's that's a persona, uh, persona personified character if I've ever seen one. I, I mean, his laugh in Spider-Man Two, like, can I have an advance? And his like laugh has obviously become the a myth in online culture. But I just like I do not envy the person who ever has to take on uh, that role afterwards. I mean, I understand why Mark Webb never showed. Um, <laughs> Uh, J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I, I think that's a smart play. Is that we just won't do it? We just won't do it. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way to top that. It's kind of like, all right. I mean, 
for the longest people would say, like, nobody's going to do the Joker again until then we had Jared Leto. I'm like, oh, well, you, you made a choice. You, <laughs> you're going places with that one. But, yeah, that's my feelings of Spider-Man 2. So, Justin, you're number two. Oh, boy. Okay. So, my it's Brian is... Singer again. <laughs> Jack the Giant no. Slayer. I knew it. It's Brian Singer for Superman Returns. <laughs> God. I'm just joking. It's Joe Schumacher for Batman Forever. <sighs> Baby! Sorry. <laughs> you guys are no. trying to get Brendan Fappin, ain't you? Uh, he's up by now. I mean, yeah, that side of the world. Um, no, seriously, it's uh, it's Zack Snyder. I had a really hard time deciding which film I was going to go with, and I literally just changed it. It was going to be Watchmen because I I really love what he done. I feel like he improved on the source material with that. But uh, I've got to say it. I'm going to have to follow Jeremy on this. It's Man of Steel. I, uh, I've never been a huge Superman shipper. You know, like I, I enjoyed him in the animated series. I enjoyed him in the Justice League animated series. But I've always had a hard time. He felt too much like a Boy Scout. Like he, he wasn't compelling to me as a character. But uh, for better or worse... Zack Snyder, Nolan, everyone involved showed a truly conflicted Superman that uh, had a lot of personal issues that cracked the shell for me. And, uh, I mean, just the entire film is gorgeous, really well stylized. Zack Snyder, you know, has a history with music videos, and I know a lot of people say that he's making an ever-long music video with his films, but uh, I feel like how serious he takes his material and uh, the emotional weight that he puts in all of his movies and honestly, the way that each scene you can break down and there's all kinds of neat little character inspirations, little Easter eggs and everything, and I just really feel like he gets it. And... uh, my favorite scene in that movie is honestly the, the most controversial one, and that's whenever he uh, breaks Zod's neck, which is why it was funny that you uh, posted on Twitter that we were going to be doing this and use that gif, because uh, that's honestly my favorite scene in it, because it it's not, you know, oh, it, you know, Superman's a badass. It, w- it wasn't anything like that. It was the fact that they showed Superman choose us over making a new Krypton. And Michael Shannon is probably top five best comic book villains of all time. He was fantastic as Zod. I agree. I enjoy Man of Steel, but I'm still not ready to talk about Zack Snyder. So... Uh, the only thing I'll add is um, yeah, um, my favorite scene from Man of Steel. It's kind of one I guess you probably wouldn't most people wouldn't say, but I just love that shot of uh, Clark playing with the dog in the yard, and he puts the uh, the red the red uh, tower behind him as a cape, 
and just the you get the Man of Steel score behind it. It's just a beautiful scene, and I don't know what it is, but it just always brings emotions out of me. And I don't, I can't really explain why or put it into words, but I just, and that's one of the things I I love about Zack Snyder is man, can he just create some amazing shots that just really stir the emotions up in you. I agree. I mean, he's a very visual storyteller, and a lot of people have been using that to ding him, but I actually think it's kind of refreshing in a way, and uh, it, it makes you work to enjoy his movies, and that that's something else I can really appreciate. I agree. And, um... So, You're still not ready to talk about it. <laughs> no, 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 not yet. I mean, you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. But moving on, uh, Jeremy, your number two. My number two is Alex Prius. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, uh, the Crow. Ooh. Huh. Uh, yeah. Um, this is this is one of my top movies of all time, guys. Uh, this is one I watch every year. I try to watch it on Devil's Night. Um, I fell in love with this movie, uh, you know, back when it came out. Um, I don't think I ever saw it in the theater, but I watched it many times on VHS. I had the VHS copy of it. Um, didn't know it was based on a comic book for quite some time, um, but. You know, we talked earlier about the whole uh, nostalgia or whatever you want to call it for it because of it being Brendan Lee's last movie and really his really his his first movie in that it was it was going to be like a big breakout role for him. And the fact that we never got to see what he was going to accomplish after this, but um I, you know, I'm not real familiar with the director a whole lot. Uh, other than this, I've seen Dark City. Um, you know, I saw iRobot. Um, but he's kind of fell off the map. Uh, but for whatever reason, this movie, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful to look at. I love the music, uh, the score and the music um, that's that's chosen for it. And I love that it, it works in this way that it doesn't feel dated because it's one of those movies kind of, it's kind of like how Batman, the animated series, I don't know what you want to call it, where you're, you could really put it in any time period. It doesn't feel like it never feels dated to me when I watch it. And all of the special effects, everything still holds up for me. I mean, there's a few shots, I guess, if I was going to nitpick, that you could you could definitely tell there was some CGI, early CGI work done on. Uh, but it's just, it's a not only a, a remarkable comic book film, it's just a remarkable film, in my opinion. It's just so unique. Um, I love the gothic noir feel that it has, even though it's set, you know, in this you know, in, in like a, a really just a, a normal looking city in a lot of ways, but it's, it's just so unique. I, I just love it. Everything about it. Um, and I just love Brandon Lee's performance. Um, i I've never really looked real far into how much of it was him. Cause I know that they did have to use another person to shoot a lot of the scenes. Um, but 
it, it's one of those uh, sad reminders uh, of always what if he had, he had lived and we would have got to see more out of him. Um, and, you know, even though I guess it is a cult classic, um, I, I would argue, I, I, I think it's, it's a very well-known movie. Even if you want to call it a cult classic, I don't think there's many people that don't know this movie. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't know that there's sequels to it. Um, which is not a bad thing, but yeah, that's <laughs> <the best. laughs> um, I have mixed feelings on a remake or reboot, whatever you want to call it, especially with Momoa being cast. Uh, Are you not, not feeling that that much? You know, I, you know, here's my, here's my thing with Momoa and it's the same issue I have with, with the rock being in certain movies where he's supposedly, um, you know, like the skyscraper movie that's coming out. You know, I feel like they had to amputate one of his legs for his character because, like, who's going to take on The Rock and actually feel like a legitimate threat? And that's kind of how I feel with Momoa. I can't see Momoa letting some dudes take him over and his girlfriend and killing him and his girlfriend. I just, who who the hell's going to do that to Jason Momoa? I just, he he just seems seems like too intimidating to to be the Eric Draven character. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would love to be proved wrong though. I just, as of now, I just kind of have mixed feelings towards it. I don't, I don't really know. Um, and maybe it's because this movie just holds a special place in my heart. I just, I just love it so much. I can't, I can't have any more to that because it's just a personal, um, movie to you, but yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's curious, like who's going to get the drop on Jason Momoa? Yeah, I mean that's a better way to say it. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like who who the hell's gonna break into Jason Momoa's pad and <laughs> well, yeah, and, like, like I said, who, break, who has the stones know? to do? Yeah, that? <laughs> if I remember correctly, because uh, I've heard a little bit of the original graphic novel, I think it's they're at a beach and they're coming back, and that's when they get jumped. Yeah, yeah, they're in their car, right? I believe, in the graphic novel, yeah. Like maybe like if it like if they had like four on one like. Like, what was it? Uh, I finally saw a movie that Justin raved about from last year, Wind River, and John Bernthal, who plays the Punisher, and he gets uh, attacked at one point. Like, John Bernthal, like, yeah, he could handle himself in most situations. In Wind River, there's a situation he does not hold his own, and because there were so many people, so if they do something like that, maybe I can buy Momoa getting, uh, being sent to the next world by some goons. Man, that Burnthal scene in that movie is rough. That, like, it was, like, I was talking to Matthew Malucky, like, he was saying, like, he does not really, because I did, uh, uh, the writer of that, um, Sicario and, um... Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. I did, like, a marathon of his movies, and I think that one scene in Wind River is more uncomfortable than anything is in Sicario. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just because it's just so, like, it's told so matter-of-factly. But, like, if, I still recommend, see the movie. See all three of those movies, because I'm sure you'll really enjoy them. But uh, your final thoughts on your number two, Jeremy? Uh, it's The Crow's a beautiful film. Um, it's got great music, uh, great performances all around. Uh, and Top Dollar is one of the best villains 
in a comic book movie, in my opinion. Uh, just just really great. And and also, this movie is so quotable, as as Tim mentioned earlier. It's just such a quotable movie. movie. So, uh, yeah. Caw, caw, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I see a dead bird on the ground, I kinda, I, that flies through my mind. Um, uh, so moving <clears throat> on to my number two, it's Christopher Nolan, and the movie is Batman Begins. I think in live action form, it's the best Batman story told. I prefer it over The Dark Knight because Batman's the focus of the movie. Yes, he, The Dark Knight is the titular character in The Dark Knight, but I mean, Batman's the titular character in The Dark Knight. However, I think as a story, it's a examination of a scale where you have the white knight of Harvey Dent, the black knight of the Joker, and the dark knight as Bruce Wayne in the middle. And I feel like the more the focus on Batman Begins is is for the best, I think. And obviously ushered in a new wave, like, oh, no, we can just reboot things and make it dark and gritty. Like, you can argue if Casino Royale was done in a similar way or was happening at the same time, or Star Trek, or The Amazing Spider-Man, and then the Arrowverse, at least specifically Arrow, owes a lot to Chris Van Nolan's entire Batman saga and how he treated the character seriously. And, like, it seemed to be within the realms of somewhat realism. It's kind of like, it's heightened reality. And I love it because the first one is so entrenched, like, in very much like a Blade Runner-esque design of a city. Like, that was was a thing that was very conscious on Nolan's part. And I think that's why, when it comes to Dark Knight, like, oh... That's just seems like Chicago. I mean, like, yeah, and like having, I think just the one step removed, and having the design of how the Narrows is, and that, kind of like the the visual aesthetic of Batman Begins. I think I prefer a little bit more, and the use of Scarecrow, Rachel Ghoul, and the theme of why, like, obviously the the use of fear, but the the line, why do we fall, so we can learn to pick ourselves back up again. It's something I have to remind myself almost daily because of like because of just how many struggles I deal with, and I think it's an important movie because of that. Yeah, as I said, I think it's the best live action Batman story movie we've ever gotten, and um, it, it's one of those ones I regret not seeing in the theater when it first came out. Uh, but I was one of those ones that was. I was burned by Batman and Robin so bad that I had kind of fell out of Batman movies and was a little hesitant to jump back on and uh, did see the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises in the theater, but I never got to see Batman Begins in the theater, but it's it's definitely uh, definitely become one of my favorite movies. Did we lose Justin again? Justin... Where are you? Over here. Oh, son of a bitch. Really? <laughs> we were so close to the end. We're almost to the end. Like We are three hours in here. I mean, we could have watched Titanic <laughs> in the same time of doing this episode. <laughs> this is, this is going to be the Anything Goes podcast Zack Snyder cut episode. I will say that Batman Begins is the absolute best live action Batman movie we've had. It's arguably one of the best Batman stories told. And uh, I really love that Nolan 
not to get super political or anything, but he did dabble in some uh, some post nine eleven allegories throughout both of those films. And uh, however much I dislike Dark Knight Rises, those first two films are top notch, A plus, and uh, Batman Begins reinvigorated my my love for the character. So love that movie. You're the bomb, yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's bring it up to the home stretch, guys. Justin, you're number one. Okay, my number one is James Mangold for Logan. Um, strap in because I'm going to take up every bit of time you have to sleep talking about this. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people complain. No complains too strong, but have strong disagreements with how Fox handles their characters. But uh, I feel like Mango would use the the right approach to that tactic. Um, They don't put continuity over story. They put story over continuity. And if you listen to James Mango speak about it, he, uh, he really doesn't care about continuity. He's more interested in telling a story. And a lot of this movie is talking about the genre as a whole while staying very character driven and even the Wolverine two thirds of that movie is a really well done character driven piece on a character like honestly I've never been a huge Wolverine fan but like I've mentioned before as long as you give me some good character work I'll get involved and Mangold is great at that Walk the Line is another movie of his that I absolutely adore. It's probably my top ten favorite films. Um, 310 to Yuma, another one. But uh, Logan, I, I just feel like it's a masterclass of the genre, and it is a, a breath of fresh air that uh, I feel like we really needed. So go ahead, Jeremy, and tell me how I'm wrong. Uh, if you want to hear my opinion on Logan, uh, go check out the Honest Trailer for Logan. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, uh... Yeah, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> all right, Forrest. <laughs> that's all I gotta say about that. <laughs> wow. Uh, that I'll take the brunt. Um, I, I really, I really enjoy this movie. I think it was a nice send off. I mean, the ending to this. I mean, we've watched Hugh Jackman play his character for over seventeen for seventeen years, and how his he finally had a, like a worthwhile send off. Like, sure, continuity's thrown to the wind, but like you're right, it's it's more about the story. And like Justin and I can attest to like how often that we'll just send quotes from Logan messages out of the blue, just like randomly send quotes of this movie to each other because we enjoy it so much. Like, yeah, like, oh, it's a badass character. We got to put him with a child to show his human side and everything. It's a trope that's been done to death. Like, yeah, 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 I'll get, I, I'll give you that. However, because like, like I said, I'm 26, I still live with my dad, and I realize my dad's in his 60s. He's getting older. But seeing deteriorating Professor X... Oh man! Realizing like that—that's like, something that's that's inevitable for all of us. Just really put into perspective, like, oh yeah, my own mortality is a thing. And the fact that they—I know, 
a lot of people had issues with the fact that they, like, for example, that they used a exact clone of Logan instead of using, you know, Sabretooth, for example. You know, that, like, a lot of people said that was really heavy-handed. But uh, the reason, the reasoning behind it is, for one, Mangold wasn't interested in telling the story of Logan going up against his arch rival. Like, honestly, he was telling the opposite kind of story because he's not a, a huge comic book fan like, like Nolan. He's more interested in the character itself. So he was more interested in seeing, like, for example, how they have comic books set in that world and Logan says, oh, they're all fake. For him, he felt like all the previous X-Men movies were those comic books and that what you're seeing in Logan is what, what actually happened to real heroes, like what they will really go through. And Logan's always been scared of, honestly, himself, of feeling love, of having a family. And I thought Mangold really, even with the clones and everything, as heavy-handed as it may seem, I feel like it, it was used tastefully. And the way that he used Xavier's own mind against him was heartbreaking and a really nice twist and uh the r rating is something else that gets a lot of flack but i know tim me and you talked about the wolverine before but uh the third act was studio mandated that he have to fight that huge silver monstrosity that was supposed to be the silver samurai like that wasn't what he was wanting to do he was told to do it so whenever he went into negotiations for Logan, he wanted an R rating so he could tell his story. Like he wanted to be able to show Wolverine, you know, what would actually happen if someone fought a guy with claws. He didn't have to worry about making it appeal to young children, you know, so they would have to, you know, like sell toys or anything. And in the process, to me, he made the best comic book movie to date to me. Hashtag don't at me. <laughs> I I can't argue with that. I think it's uh, it is a changing point. It's something that that will not go unnoticed. I think it'll be more R-rated movies will come afterwards, and I look forward to that. Um, all right then, um, Jeremy, you're number one. I I have a feeling who it is. Uh, my number one is Joel Schumacher for Batman and Robin. Yes! <laughs> Gotham City! City of love! It was, it was a, it was a tough, it was tough to, to pick between this and Tank Girl, but I ended up going with Batman and Robin. Well, that's a poll right there. I don't, I don't envy your, your choice right there. Uh, no, my number one is Sam Raimi, um, and my favorite Sam Raimi comic book movie contribution is Spider-Man 2. Um, Spider-Man sits right up next to Batman on, uh, on the pedestal for my favorite superheroes. Uh, he's my favorite Marvel hero, Batman's my favorite DC hero, and I, I've never been able to put one above the other, um, in a, in a list uh, and Sam Raimi, um, in my opinion, uh, brought us the Spider-Man world from the comics to life. Um, and also in a lot of ways, the Spider-Man world from the, from the cartoon that I, that I grew up with and fell in love with the old, uh, Fox Spider-Man animated series. 
Um, it's he created Spider-Man's world in just such an amazing way with it, with his movies. Um, and although I, I have a lot of love for the first one as Justin does, um, the one thing that was lacking in the first one was the villain. Uh, I felt Willem Dafoe was, was brilliantly cast as green goblin, but the way they decided to, turn him into the green goblin uh with as as everybody calls it, the power ranger suit just never worked for me it's been one of the things that always turns me off from revisiting that one uh more often but with spider-man 2 you know not only did we get the amazing spider-man world that sam raimi brought to life but we also got an amazing villain with dr octopus and um just it just fires on all cylinders um I I will argue today that I think Tom Holland is the best Peter Parker Spider-Man combination that we've gotten in live action, but I still enjoy uh, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker a lot in the Sam Raimi films. Um, his Spider-Man, there are parts that don't work for me sometimes, but um, it's it, it he's still he's still a great Peter Parker and Spider-Man, even though uh, I think Tom Holland is superior, but it doesn't take anything away from Tobey Maguire because he's the first guy to do it. Um, and he did a great job with it. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, with the world that Sam Raimi created uh, for him to play in. Um, the visuals just look amazing. Like I I've mentioned on the real fans group before, like it just feels like Spider-Man's New York city. It really does. Like just the way it was shot, the colors, everything. It just, it just feels like Peter Parker's New York. Uh, it doesn't feel like, you know, one of my knocks against the amazing Spider-Man, um, movies was, I didn't like the way New York city look like new york city and that's not a knock against new york city but i just always loved the way new york city was portrayed in the comics and in the cartoon with spider-man um and i just feel like sam raimi brought that new york to life with his with his films and um spider-man 2 it just as as tim mentioned earlier i I co-signed all the points that he brought up and it's just it's top notch for a comic book movie because it feels like a comic book movie. Uh, it doesn't feel like a superhero playing in our world. Like some of these other directors, uh, that we've mentioned on here, some of their films feel like sometimes like this felt like this felt like the superhero in his world brought to life in a live action movie. And I just, I just love it. And I would love to see Sam Raimi, uh, do some more comic book movies in the future. I co-signed everything he just said. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Ditto. Thank you, Patrick Swayze. We the ditto right there. <laughs> <laughs> you were ex- nobody was expecting ghost references here. Um, <laughs> and all right, so all right, my number one. It's obviously Mark Webb, The Amazing Spider-Man Two. I, I mean. <laughs> oh my god. Tim? Oh, uh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. The, the elevator's not going all the way to the top. No. It's obviously 
Zack Snyder, yes, I put Zack Snyder above Christopher Nolan. I know it's going to get me a lot of hate. And my movie is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the Ultimate Edition. As Zack Snyder's making some of the longest comic book movies, he's making some of the longest um, names comic book movies. The reason being is that Snyder's always swung for the fences of choices, for better or for worse, I've always said that. And he went about a way to make Batman a villain for the first time in a movie. Sure, he's not the main protagonist, that's Luther, but having Batman being in the lowest of low points that he would go to do such lengths to destroy something that he's extremely xenophobic and that we can almost sympathize with his actions because of how his perspective on the Black Zero event that happens in Man of Steel uh, I find this movie to be insanely quotable. I think the score is fantastic between Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer. The Wonder Woman score, it, I mean, it just, I, I don't think the Wonder Woman score sounded better than in the BVS. I, I, even in Wonder Woman, I don't think it was done that well. I hate the Danny Elfman rendition in Justice League when he's, when she saves the people in the museum. I just feel like I have such, I have such a problem with Danny Elfman's score with Justice League to begin with, but. I, the IMAX sequences they use is fantastic. Look at Larry Fong's cinematography is beautiful. But my favorite scene, after even like all the machinations of Lex Luthor and Doomsday and the um, the fantastic scenes of Wonder Woman trying to stop Doomsday, it's a quiet scene with Clark and his father on the mountain. And realizing there's going to be consequences and there's going to be whatever actions you take, there's going to be... People are going to get hurt or something. But knowing that there's somebody who loves you regardless of what you do and that the kind of validation you get from a parent, I just really resonated to. And that's why it's possibly one of my favorite scenes in comic book movies right there. Uh, I I love BVS. Uh, I saw it in the theater four times. Um and then I fell in love with it even more with the uh, with the Ultimate Edition. Uh, I felt like that was the edition that should have been released initially because uh, I think it, it does iron out a lot of the problems um, in terms of the story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's gave us the best Batman sequence ever put on film, in my opinion. Uh, as much as I love Batman Begins, and it's the best live-action Batman movie ever, uh, the Martha Rescue scene, as it's been correctedly called, um, is the best Batman sequence ever in a movie. I don't, I don't, I don't care what anybody says. Like you, you've never seen Batman be Batman in a movie until you see BVS and him kicking ass in that warehouse scene. Um, and I mean, the only nitpick I've ever had with BVS is I was never really sold on Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Uh, it's still really the only nitpick I have with it. If I'm, if I'm being questioned about it. Um, but I, I love the movie. I even love the third act. I love the big CGI doomsday brawl, whatever you want to call it. I, I just eat it up. I love it. Yeah, I only got to see it once in the theater. Me and my wife went to go see it, open and not. And uh, it's honestly like the worst theater experience I've ever had. Not because of the movie, just because of the crowd. Um, I have the same 
issue that Jeremy has is I've, I've never been a big fan of Jesse Eisenberg in that film. Um, as both of you know, Ben Affleck made my absolute favorite film of all time, Gone Baby Gone. And uh, I was super pumped whenever he got cast as Batman. I feel like, you know, I hope, you know, not to dive into rumors and speculation, I hope he sticks around. He was great in the role. Uh, I love Superman in the movie. I love the questions that it asked. I love how ambitious Snyder was. The, uh, the score is fantastic, especially the uh, Beautiful Lie track. Um, I think it's one of the most smartly written comic book films that, that there really has been, especially, oddly enough, Lex's parts. I just really can't get behind that performance, but it's a great choice. I love I even like the uh, the ending CGI bloodfest. It it worked. I, I mean the helipad sequence where, or the helipad scene, I should say, where Luther explains his his plan and why he's doing that and why people like have so much problem. But it's simple. Like if God is all powerful, then He cannot be all innocent. And if He's in His all innocent, He cannot be all powerful. It can be more simpler than that. Sure, you can. I understand his take on the character was controversial. I mean, like like so many of those things. And it's a choice that he made. But I like the fact that he made it his own. And he made like I, I've said it before in conversations. It sounds like whenever I'm trying to it seems like my mind is going too fast in my mouth to keep up and like how I stumble over words in conversations or especially when I'm here recording. I kind of imagine that's how I sound. Especially the scene where he's in the um, the, the gala at the like library, and he's having like a little breakdown on the microphone. I'm like, ah, I, I relate to that. Um, but yeah, I absolutely adore this movie. I, I as since its release, it's the Batman movie I've rewatched the most in two years. I've rewatched mm-hmm. more than Batman Begins. I've rewatched more than Mask of the Phantasm. That's my favorite Batman movie. It's just like something I, I just I'm just enamored with and i just fascinated by every frame of the film i mean it has possibly my favorite death of the waynes because it's done so stylishly and along with the track like justin mentioned with the beautiful lie i can go on and on but we've gone on long enough so yeah we've counted down our top 10 favorite comic book movie directors now justin if you want people to follow you on social media where can they find you if you want them to um, I'm on Facebook. I'm relatively active in the real fans group. You know, I've been busy here lately, but, uh, I'm on Twitter at, at that Justin Lee. And uh, I don't have a fancy smancy podcast to plug. So not yet. Anyway, not yet. It's in the works. Yeah. And Jeremy, uh, you can find me over at my podcast, which is all about Stephen King, uh, called Dark Tower Radio. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter just by searching Dark Tower Radio. Um, and we just discuss all things Stephen King, uh, movies, books, comics, whatever. Uh, we're kind of like the holy backcast for Stephen King fans is what we strive to be. Um but yeah, you can also follow me on Instagram if you want to. Uh, I usually post geeky stuff on there just by searching uh, Constant Geek 19. 
and I'm also very active in the Real Fans for Real Movies group, as we've talked about on here. Um, so if you're feeling if you're feeling brave, you can jump into a thread uh, with me and Connell, me and Jeff Connell. Uh, it's it's usually a good time. So no uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only person that trolls Connell. <laughs> you and unintentionally Maleki does. <laughs> uh, Maleki never knows what he's getting into. Every time I see him comment on something, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. But know, like, you, I... you got to respect the fact that he jumps in with both feet, though. He does. He does. He <laughs> just jumps in with with no no care at all. <laughs> oh, he commits. Whatever he commits. He commits. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2. My Instagram at TRooney1012. Uh, my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, where uh, my latest video is actually a kind of a thank you for the, to the 27th Letter Productions co- uh, podcast company or production company that does the Hey Do You Remember podcast along with uh, the, the Sunnydale Stacks. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff in the works for that. You can also listen to my other podcast, part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network, the Please Rewind, the RF4RM Retro Show, where Jamie Drewley, Guy Milks, and myself talk about movies that are coming up on anniversaries or if we just want to. And you can find that along with the rest of the other uh, Real Fan shows at RF4RM.com. Now, fellas, I want to say thank you for dealing with the tech issues early on and going into the wee hours of the morning to talk about this. Hey, I got through the dark night, and the Big Lebowski is just wrapping up on my TV in the time that we've recorded. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely time to go then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I hope everybody's enjoys the uh, countdown of our favorite comic book movie directors. Come back next time as we talk about more geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.